Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Tiffany here from Swish, and I want to talk about being a problem solver. In my classroom, I'm always telling my equal firsties to be problem solvers. In first grade, that's one thing, but in adult life, it's a whole other. It can be really difficult to train your brain to go into a problem-solving mode. Maybe you don't even know where to start. It's a challenge that we all face in life. But when you learn to better help your brain find solutions, it's truly a great feeling. And if you've ever been thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. BetterHelp is convenient, it's accessible, it's affordable, and it's all online. And on top of that, they match you with a therapist just by filling out a brief survey. So when you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com swish today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash swish. Welcome to Swish and Flick, an all-Potter podcast. Swish and Flick, everyone. The Swish and Flick. Hello and welcome to episode 210 of Swish and Flick. I'm Tiffany. I'm Megan. I'm Katie. And I guess I'm paying attention. No, you're distracted. <laughs> and this episode is sponsored by Mike Partenayo. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Today, we are joined again by the lovely author of the book, Snape, A Definitive Reading. Lori Kim, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me back. Well, thanks for coming back, uh, even though we're a little wild. But I think we had fun last <laughs> we time. We didn't scare you off. Yeah, I know. <laughs> she came back out of fear. I uh, have more to say. Sorry. <laughs> <Ooh>, okay. <laughs> um, we're we're really um, excited to have you back, and I can't wait to finish out. It, I mean, and it's even just like a small amount of a small section of a chapter of your book. So we obviously have a lot to say. This is the usual tick tick. Yes, a tic tac amount. But before we get into any of that, let's go to Meg for some weekly profit news that I'm interested in. I mean, I'm interested yeah. in usually all of them, but this is true. Yeah. Um, so it has been revealed that there's going to be a new collector's edition Lego set coming out. Um, I don't know. I think that this might be like a series because it's called Lego Harry Potter Hogwarts Icons Collector's Edition. And the first one is Hedwig. And it's like Hedwig on top of a pile of books and potions and Harry's letter. And it looks really like it looks really beautiful. I I like genuinely want this. That's real cute. I'm sending it how, in Discord for everybody. How... um. What are the measurements on that? So it's over 3,000 pieces. Ayo. Um, I don't know why I thought you were going to say $3,000. I was like, whoa. <laughs> oh, that would be way no, expensive. I mean, it's 250 so it is expensive, which leads me to believe that it must be pretty big. Um, yeah. But this has kind of been like a new type of Lego set that they've been doing. I don't know if like anybody else has followed um these like newer sets that they've been putting out but i saw this new like mickey and minnie that came out and it's like they're literally 3d 
Like, I feel like usually um, Legos are, you know, I mean, they're, uh, they're blocky because you're building them with Legos, right? Like most of the ones that you come out with, like they, they look a little bit different because they're made out of blocks, but these, like they're coming out with these new pieces that just make the things look so real. Like Mickey and Minnie are are literally 3d, like their head is a sphere, their shoes. Oh, they're like curved. Yeah. Like they, like they look like action figures of Mickey and Minnie. And they're, so they're like considered an 18 plus Lego kit. Like Holy really intense. Moly. That oh, is yeah, large. That's, big. that's very big. cool. Yeah, that, there's a picture at the bottom of the article that shows like someone building it. And you can see how tall it's it is. It's beautiful. That's like, that's like almost as tall as parts of like the castle. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, can like the it? castle is bigger. But... Can we get it? <laughs> I love the castle. Dang. Yeah, it was so love much it, fun love to build it. too. So, anyway, and also has this really cute little chocolate frog card piece that comes, and it's got like Dumbledore on the chocolate frog card, and he's gold. And then there's a golden Haggard and a golden mm. McGonagall on either side. Perfect. Um, gold. And it gold. it looks really cute. Like <laughs> you know, if you've done the if you've done the Hogwarts Castle set, you know how it comes with like the set of the founders that like come on a little platform for you to like display. It's like that, except it's a Dumbledore chocolate frog card, and then Hagrid Aww. and McGonagall. So it's really cool. I want so, it. Hagrid. Hagrid. Alana made me actually just like two days ago made me take the capes off of the founders figures she's like i don't like those no okay okay Okay, Um, also important (laughs) piece of information this is available september 2nd fyi that's a day late first yeah it's kind of weird they really (laughs) missed that up missed that up is what i said Uh, i underment what you stood it looks amazing, and I want it. So, um, yeah, so that's Weekly Profit. Make sure to follow us on your preferred podcast listening platform and share this episode with your friends, because if you like us, they will too. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube at Swish and Flick Podcast and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Swish Flickcast. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Swish Flickcast. By supporting our podcast, it keeps us going and it gives you access to our exclusive Felix Files episodes, our Discord channel, live recordings, now probably going forward with videos. So just saying you get mm-hmm. to see our lovely faces while we record um, trivia games, swish swag boxes and more. So thank you all so much for your support. If you'd mm-hmm. like to send in your Potter stories or have any questions or concerns, you can send those to our email, which is swishflickcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you. If this is your first recap on live video here. This is not true. We've been live before doing episodes. I cover my mouth. (laughs) Okay, Wilson. Wilson. I will be Wilson. I make some horrendous faces when I do these recaps. I don't want to. I don't trust Minnie. Or I don't blame you. Yeah. Or Marcus. <laughs> or Jess or Mia. Or anybody. Or any any of you. Katie. Yes. It's time. <laughs> For the rum 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 recap. <laughs> Sarah, what'd she look like? <laughs> huh? What'd she look like? 
Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Guys, her best not to look at me. I don't pay attention to Tiffany. Tiffany's so mad that Tiff covered her screen. <laughs> All right, recap. So last episode, we got to hang out with Helene and Adri from Oculopolitics, and we talked about Ministers for Ministers of Magic. So look out for part two of that coming soon, and thank you again to both of them. We've been really lucky to talk to a lot of Potter people lately. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> Can I have a summary? Oh, yeah, that's me, isn't it? <laughs> been doing this for over 200 episodes. Are you? Yeah. Um, so, Are you distracted? Like, oh, earlier? Always. <laughs> so, we're going to continue our chat about Snape, and specifically in the Spinner's End chapter, um, and we're looking more into, like, his interactions with, like, Bellatrix Narcissa and, like, the vow and all of that stuff. I'm excited. Cool, I man. learned... Ooh, I just hit my microphone. <laughs> I learned some things that I didn't realize... When we actually did the chapter, so this is good that we're here. Yeah, yeah. Lori, mm. Lori has a recap of her own. Well, I realized after I came on for episode two hundred four that I had never picked up before that when you go to Spinner's End and you look at Snape's house, there's not a single clue about whether he actually likes potions, dark arts, or defense against the dark arts. It's the chapter where we find out that the reason he's teaching at all is because that's his espionage post. That Voldemort sent him. But, um, yeah, we don't know if there's any truth to the rumor that he cares about one teaching position or another. Uh, I like that there isn't anything to give it away. We just see this one guy living by mm -hmm. himself, completely self-sufficient, and all he wants to do is be left alone to read. I feel that. I, I was going <laughs> to say, that feels very familiar. <laughs> I know what that feels like. <laughs> oh, well, goodness. That's interesting. Because I think that, like, we've talked about numerous times about how, like, we know he's good at potions and we know that he's good at defense against the dark arts, but he never really acts like he enjoys teaching, in my opinion. Like, yeah. like anytime we see him as a teacher, it's... That wasn't his aspiration, you know? Exactly. Like, in the end, that's clear that it wasn't. So... Yeah. That just makes sense. Yeah. And I know that just as a student, I have sometimes sat in class looking at a teacher going, why? Why yes. does this person ever go into teaching? They hate it, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if that was part of the uh, inspiration for this character. It's like, well, you oh. know, maybe in his secret life, he's a spy. He's a double agent. He's being forced <laughs> to by his evil overlords. Oh, I like <laughs> that. that would explain a lot. I like the term overlords. That is very good. Yeah. I enjoy that. Um, yeah, okay. So, we <laughs> can't hear that. So, at this point in the conversation, Bellatrix is stunned, right? For kind of, I don't know, that's the best word I could come up with. Um, because he Snape answers all of her questions and does a good job at answering those questions, so she's actually quiet for a moment where he can go ahead and you know continue his conversation on with Narcissa and so Lori wrote Bellatrix will not protect Draco against Voldemort Snape might Narcissa puts her trust in Snape and I actually underlined this sentence 
And I emphasize the word trust because I feel like on the dark side or Voldemort's side, the Death Eater side, I don't think that there's a lot of people that are trusting of others over there, especially people who are not members of your actual like own flesh and blood family. Yeah. And I just thought that that was a really excellent point because it lets you know that there may have been um, like a history mm-hmm. with Snape and the Malfoy family, which we know that we know somewhat that there is. And I'll get into that at the end of my section. And it also lets you know that she's really desperate at this point and she's moving past members of her own family in an attempt to try and save her son's life. One thing that we know is that the Malfoys have been in touch with Snape before. They Like when uh, Draco it becomes the seeker in the second book, mm-hmm. you know, obviously they've been talking to Snape and he comes and says, I've given the Slytherin team permission to practice. Mm-hmm. And we know that Snape, until Harry showed up, Snape had led Slytherin House to the House Cup like six or seven years in a row. So to me, there's an unwritten story about Slytherin parents who are nervous about how their kids are going to do at the school that hates them. Uh, You know, you know that Dumbledore is not going to give you a fair shot, but if you're worried about your kid, he won't call on Snape. So this is... I'd love to say that you're wrong, but you're not. Dumbledore (laughs) does not care for Slytherins. It's really... And it's not okay. I mean, if, if I were sending my little 11-year-old, I would not be scared. Slytherin, not Slytherin, right? <laughs> yeah. You would be hairy. <laughs> and, you would be hairy. And the thing, um, the thing, the weird thing about Snape and the Malfoys is that they have a connection regardless of who has allegiance to what. And it's actually, there's like personal affection there. Um, and that's something that the series really stresses, especially with house elves. You know, you can't look at politics or logic. You have to look at if there's personal affection, and there is some here. Mm-hmm. And I would agree. There's also um, the reason that she's calling on Snape is as a teacher. He's She's calling on him, you know, as a family friend, but more as a teacher, more as somebody that Draco actually has a relationship with and trusts for mm-hmm. the day-to-day job that he shows up to do, which is mm-hmm. really affirming and more of Snape's true self than how a lot of people see him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were actually talking about this today um, and the fact that I feel, I mean, I, it's no secret that that the four of us on this podcast don't, We, I mean, for lack of a better term as an umbrella term, we don't like him, right? We know that he does great things, but we also know that the things that he does is abusive to children. Um, But what we don't see is the side of Snape and how he treats people who aren't Harry Potter and company. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the thing. I'm not excusing his behavior towards Harry Potter and company, but that's what we see. And that the, triggering him right and we don't get to see the side of him 
that would be a family friend or to be someone that you could call on, right? There's certain select people that we don't get to see have that kind of relationship with him. Um, books one, two, and up until the end of three, Dumbledore and Snape are, are you know, friendly, right? They're on friendly terms. All throughout four, they're pretty much feuding. And then, you know, five and on, and we get to see a little bit of the relationship, especially in um, Snape's memories. It's like, but we don't get to see that kind of relationship where he would be kind, like outside of school or even in the, the Slytherin common room mm -hmm. to Malfoy and other Slytherins. So I think that some people forget that he's not always aggressively angry. That's just what we're seeing yeah. because mm -hmm. we're seeing with Harry. The thing that is happening at the beginning of this chapter and at the end of Order of the Phoenix is that a bunch of the kids in his house, their dads have just gotten incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And these are kids where he was worried about them anyway. And uh, when Harry comes back and he names which Death Eaters had been there, you see um, Snape looking really alarmed and he looks over at Crabbe and Goyle and Draco. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, he's, this whole book, book six, is about him watching these boys who are at risk going down the same bad path he went down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you even see him like trying to get Crabbe and Goyle to pass classes. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you imagine being the teacher who has to try to make sure that they're employable after they leave Hogwarts? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, who else, you know, they're, they're so ugly and disliked, just like he was. Who else is going to care? Yeah. Yeah. The Death Eaters, and he knows it. And, you know, they're such easy pickings. Oh, yeah. 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 Like the uh, the group of outcast kids that we'll, we'll take in because we understand your plight. Like, we understand you and we'll accept you over here. And then as as being that kid, you feel like, well, you have no other choice and these people are welcoming me with open arms. Yeah. And so that's where you're going to go. And the other person who has a similar background is Dumbledore, that he had a father who was incarcerated and he yeah. had to feel like as a teenager that he was the only person who could um, avenge his father or, mm -hmm. you know, be head of the family at that young age. And yeah. that just makes you really vulnerable. And, you know, we know nobody was there for Dumbledore. Well, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Look at who he was hanging out with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. So at this moment, Snape's reaction is to protect Narcissa. And Laura, you wrote, quote, Snape immediately protects Narcissa, checking to make sure that they are unheard telling her that he knows of the plan to stop her from divulging more. So as we know, Wormtail is hiding out and attempting to listen at doors. And so he's stopping Wormtail from finding out by basically like stopping this conversation. Like, I know, don't say any more, because if you say more then you're in trouble, if he hears you and goes back to report, Megan. I also wonder if, um, he is also trying to protect her potentially from, um, not Occlum, oh, from like legitimacy 
uh, by mm, mm-hmm, Voldemort mm-hmm. because if she has no memory for Voldemort to see of her divulging said information, mm. then there's nothing there. You know what I mean? Like smart, and Bellatrix yeah. is really good at that too. Well, so Bellatrix for her to is not report it back so either. I, yeah. So like, I I think that he's not so much worried about someone seeing into Bellatrix's mind, but like, I don't know how good Narcissa is at Occlumency. So she's probably subject to it without even realizing sometimes maybe by Voldemort. So I think that it was just him underlying thinking, I'm going to protect her from this because I don't want there to be a memory of her divulging this to me. Even though I already know, I don't need that to be a problem for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> um. Okay. So at this point in the game, right, we know that Snape's defenses against all the questions that Bellatrix threw at him, um, all the verbal attacks, it doesn't really, like, do anything to him. Like, his, he blocks those shots, right, every single time. But, Lori, you say in this moment that having empathy for a mother could be or is his undoing. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Well, he tries, he breaks eye contact with her, which is something that the author has characters do when they don't want their minds read. Right. But it says he couldn't pretend not to hear her. And she's so, the pathos is incredible. Uh, He is always kind to mothers. This is something that's surprising when I think about it. There's, even Molly Weasley respects him and he never has a bad thing to say about Molly Weasley. It's something that this character responds to. Yeah. And especially um, knowing that this is his second chance in life, that it's bringing him back to um, the same guy, the same jerk, (laughs) Mm. torturing um, a boy and the mother being beside herself with panic. Right. You know, and him knowing how that feels and what happens when your child is threatened that way. Uh, I think he's, he's definitely responding and he's responding in a way that makes me think um, this is something that he, that he has he's he's not laughing at it he's it's not too much for him mm-hmm. megan do you think that in a way this is him trying to compensate for what he didn't do for lily i think this is his time turner moment mm. i think that when i think it's very parallel to when harry and hermione in book three mm. have to go back that, you know, what we know from Deathly Hallows that Snape wanted to die after yeah. Lily was killed. Yeah. And then Dumbledore gives him a second chance at life. And I think that's the start of his time turner moment where he has to go back. And the rules for a time turner are you have to change nothing and you must not be seen. So as you know, mm-hmm. a double agent, he must not be seen. And to change nothing, he, he can't stop Draco from choosing to get a dark mark like he did. Right. Yeah. He has to let it all happen. 
-hmm. He has to watch everything happen all over again, like happened to him, knowing how disastrous it's going to be. He just has to sit there and let it happen. Mm-hmm. And then um, the thing about Harry and Hermione with the time turner is that Dumbledore says, you'll know the moment when it happens, but I can't tell you when it is. And they're like, great. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sounds familiar. And, yeah. you know, just don't be seen. And then he tells them, if all goes well, more than one innocent life can be saved. And this is the moment when um, Snape's time-turner journey is starting to approach the moment where he can re-enter his timeline, because he can see that if he saves Harry Potter and he does what he's already going to be doing, he can save Draco, too. Yeah. It's like being able to save Sirius and Buckbeak at the same time. It is. Yeah. Um, there's, there's two mm-hmm. there's two really great kind of differing points in the chat. Kayla Dawn says, I wonder if his mom tried to protect him from his father at times, which I would imagine that could be a possibility. Um, And then Emily Pharisee, am I saying that right? Um, I wonder if the friendliness towards mothers is because his mother was the magical one. Well, here's here's how I... I do this sort of logic to figure that, okay, Snape did have motherly love. Mm -hmm. Um, The first logic is if you compare it to how Snape reacts to romance, he's, when he sees romance, like, you know, even just teenagers dating, he's so bitter and immature and petty that it's mortifying to watch him. (laughs) And he's Roger Davies and Fleur. (laughs) Oh yeah. He's so bitter. (laughs) And he talks like a, bitter teenager about it but then Narcissa comes with the most devastated emotion and looks straight at him and clutches his knees and pleads and he can look right back at her he's right there with her and for comparison we have how Voldemort feels when he sees Harry have a mom be upset for him Voldemort that Watching that happen for Harry made Voldemort so jealous that it was worse than death. And, you know, he he didn't even know what this feeling was. It was agony. Snape can feel jealous about romance, but he doesn't feel jealous about a mom going to any length to protect her kid. And we also know, you know, this book, book six is the volume, you know, where he goes to school with his mom's books yeah so and we know that that's you know possibly the most important thing for him so those things lead me to believe that whatever there is about a mother to protect their child that he knows that feeling i wonder if too if he knows because he how much he cared about lily and he knows that she went to extreme lengths to protect her child that maybe he wants to honor her by doing the same for other mothers. Like, because like the woman that he loved Mm -hmm. literally gave her life for her child. So he's like, if she can do it, let me try to be a better man kind of a thing. Yeah. I can get on board with that as well. He's he's getting a second chance to do it. Tried and failed to do the first time. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. 
I love this discussion. This is good. So Snape moves to try and figure out what he's going to be able to do to help Narcissa out in this situation. And I think a great point, Laurie, that you made is that for a moment, Snape avoids speaking and making eye contact with Narcissa. And he does that because he's trying to figure out if it's going to jeopardize his plans that he already has previously made. Quick and I thought that, that was really good. He's just, Lightning I mean, smart man. You, yeah. you can say a lot of things about Severus Snape, but he is pretty brilliant. Mm -hmm. Pretty brilliant and talented, for sure. Very quick thinker. Unlike Tiffany O'Malley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, so I'm going to read about these three appeals. So you say Narcissa appeals to him in three ways, two of which work on Snape. And then there's a quote from the book. Severus, please. You are, you have always have been Draco's favorite teacher. You are Lucius's old friend. I beg you. You're the Dark Lord's favorite, his most trusted advisor. Will you speak to him? Persuade him. And then Laurie goes on to say, Snape is not acting when he says with flat realism, quote, if you are imagining I can persuade the Dark Lord to change his mind, I am afraid there is no hope, none at all. True. There are no lies told in that statement. And Snape has laid out the unvarnished truth. The only way to help Draco is by treachery against Voldemort. And that's, kind of what this is mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean they're they're very much very much doing what voldemort would definitely say no thank you to right he doesn't want draco to have any help the intention for draco to do this mission is for draco to fail and in voldemort's highest hopes die and so having snape most trusted advisor to what I would say, Voldemort and unknowingly to Voldemort with Dumbledore. And it's just, it's a tangled web we weave at Spinner's End, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it is one of, indeed. One of my favorite things, one of my favorite kind of Snape moment is when he says something where he's not acting at all and he's not even trying, and it's something that he could say to absolutely anyone because it's just true. Yeah. And when he says, you want me to try to persuade Voldemort? Yeah, no, that's never <laughs> going to happen. Yeah. Uh, he's not even, he, he can drop the tension there because he just says it, and it's very refreshing compared yeah. to the way that um, the Death Eaters generally dance around the fact that their leader is out of his mind yeah. <laughs> and you know you and mean? childish and capricious and sadistic because I think it's not so much that he wants Draco to be killed doing this although you know that would be great too I think what he wants is to watch the Malfoys squirm oh yes. for sure Suffer. that's that's yes. his main goal and of course Draco is going to fail but you know, he would be a little disappointed if Draco got killed right away. He wants to see Lucius and Narcissa really lose it along the way. Mm -hmm. And here they are plotting against that to take away his fun. You know what I just thought of? It really is confirmation that Voldemort actually 
super duper cares about the education of the students at Hogwarts because he does probably want Draco to not ultimately fail until the end of the school year so he can get those academics in. Oh Hilarious. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't yeah, like, every year. He does I'm just Harry saying, every year, everything you know? happens in May. But if you look at Draco like, well, throughout this book, December, he's got a whole other semester time. to go. <laughs> I guarantee you that Draco's schooling has been suffering this entire year yes. because he has a oh, lot of stress sure. on him. Oh yeah. Oh, you can't say that he really cares That's not Voldemort's fault. I'm, I mean, <laughs> but, it is actually. <laughs> I mean, the stress of having his father in prison, right? And then the stress of having this task where he has to kill someone. And Whatever, we know you guys. that, like, his wand core, right, is, like, dragon. Dragon. Not, stressful it, yeah. Unicorn, right? Unicorn hair? I think it's oh, unicorn. I thought it was dragon. I think it's unicorn. That's yeah, unicorn. Pesky. And, like, because the author even said she was, like, I, you know, he's not, like, 100% redeemable. Yes, he's done some horrible things. Great, this is not an episode of Draco. But... He's not the type of person that can kill someone. So having that, having that on his conscience anyways, knowing that he's supposed to do this to like save his father and do all these things, he's not going to get good grades. Also, I don't, I don't think it's that Voldemort cares about the education that they're currently getting. I think he wants to preserve Hogwarts so that he can institute his own curriculum. Mm. So who cares if they fail Dumbledore's classes? You know, he... Yeah. Yeah. Loves they won't fail mine. Yeah. <laughs> Dumbledore. That Voldemort for the head of the PTA. Oh, gosh. Where am I at? I don't even know. Oh, uh, so Narcissa appeals to his bonds of sentiment have um, struck home, right? As a teacher and family friend, he can protect this child. He can do better than he did for Lily Potter's child. And then Narcissa goes on to make the, as Lori says, audacious proposal that Snape could kill Dumbledore, taking Draco's place. Uh, Narcissa says, you would succeed, of course you would, and he would reward you beyond all of us. But honestly, um, you, you go on to say that Voldemort's esteem is something that Snape wants, but not for himself. He wants it because it helps the plot to undermine Voldemort. I mean, yeah, he doesn't, you know, when she tries to flatter him and say, oh, you're his most trusted advisor, who cares? Snape doesn't care. Ew. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Ew. It, it doesn't, he's, he's not vulnerable to that temptation the way the other Death Eaters are. Yeah. Yeah. He's not. Because he gets all this flattery often, and he doesn't care. Um, cares but he doesn't care. So Snape then decides that he can do this, right? This aligns with what he has to do anyway. Lucky writing. Um, and you know, he's gonna go ahead and do this, right? So then he speaks slowly. <laughs> God you. bless. Thank you. And the way that he does when he's thinking very quickly. Snape says looking down into her tear strained face he said slowly he intends me to do it in the end I think but he is determined that Draco should try first you see in the unlikely event that Draco succeeds I shall be able to remain at Hogwarts a little longer fulfilling my useful role as spy so it's like a win win 
you know? Yeah. It worked out and I mean it worked out the way it was supposed to work out. The way it was written. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I did want to talk a little bit about the Malfoy family and Snape and their relationship. And I found this on um the leakycauldron.org and I have the, the link down there at the end of my section. And Leaky Cauldron writes, according to the Harry Potter lexicon, so this is a source from a source. Lucius begins at Hogwarts in 1965. Five years later, Snape arrived. This means that they were in Slytherin together for two years when even Sirius, who didn't know Snape that well, knew that Snape was remarkably skilled in the dark arts. We can assume that a fellow Slytherin would also notice this. Although there is not much information in canon about their time at Hogwarts together, two years would have provided ample time for Lucius and Snape to have gotten acquainted and formed a strong connection. I agree with that. Snape could have been one of those kids that um, was noticeably skilled in probably multiple areas in school. And, you know, Lucius being Lucius would have probably latched onto that and said, come hang out with me, come sit, come sit at my table. You know what I mean? Because Sirius says that Snape was Lucius's lapdog. Mm-hmm. That gives a really clear picture of, you know, the little kid that's hungry for attention and the amused older guy saying, you know what? <laughs> You're going places. Sure. Yeah. 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 So that conversation, if you're not remembering where the lapdog uh, quote is from, it's when Sirius and Snape are argue- arguing at Grimald Place, quote, Tell me, how is Lucius Malfoy these days? I expect he's delighted that his lapdog's working at Hogwarts, isn't he? And Snape goes, speaking of dogs, said Snape softly. Did you know that Lucius Malfoy recognized you the last time you risked a little jaunt outside? And that, that of course, was when Sirius went to the train station. Um, But that confirms that it was pretty well known, at least within that group of people, that Snape and the Malfoy, at least Lucius, were pretty tight-knit. Well, you could also make the argument that, like, we know that um, Sirius and the Marauders and all of them, like, they bullied Snape. And so you could argue that they are constantly keeping an eye on him for, like, an opportunity to bully him. Mm -hmm. So maybe they, more so than, like, just anybody, like Lily, well, I got Lily's Who? What was Lily's friend's name? Walleye. What was her friend's <laughs> name? Something with an M? No, Marietta. Mary. Mary McDonald. Yeah, so maybe Mary she Piel. didn't know. You know what I mean? Like someone like who has no ties or doesn't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Might not have noticed as much as like Sirius is going to be like the type of person he's like, I'm looking for an opportunity to like make fun of him and bully him. I wonder how much he heard from Regulus, if anything. Oh, I feel I like they wouldn't they talk. About it. Yeah. yeah. That's so unfortunate, especially with um, Regulus's in the end there yes permanently Sad. vacationing at the lake oh boy just saying but yeah anywho i'm done <laughs> all right i guess that means it's my turn so it is indeed continuing on Lori points out that the one thing snape must do is convince narcissa that she needs to let 
him wait to kill Dumbledore before Draco. We talked about this a little bit in Tiff's section, basically, you know, like he wants to hold off as long as possible because he wants to make sure that Dumbledore has enough time to finish planning with Harry, which he doesn't do. <laughs> and then, I mean, he does to a point, but you know, and then that's his own fault. It I'm definitely sorry. is his own fault. He yeah. knows he only has a certain amount of time left and he squanders it, but yeah. whatever. Not a Dumbledore episode. Um, well, <laughs> where's the lie? However, he also wants to like ease Narcissa's mind, and in the like in the moment, that's a huge task. Like that's a lot of in the moment decision making, trying to figure out like how to please both sides, make sure that everybody gets a good piece of this bargain that's about to happen. Um, All because while not blowing your cover. Yeah, all while undercover. Like, but that's the role he plays, like, always. Um, so, I guess my question that I want to put out to everybody is, do you guys think that him and possibly Dumbledore were expecting a visit like this? We know that Snape knows of this plan before. Like before Narcissa comes, I understand what you're saying. Um, So So like like, Snape knows that this is the plan already. I'm sure he's conveyed that to Dumbledore. Do we think that they expected Narcissa to come? Do you think he was prepared with an answer, or did he do all this on the fly? What do you mean? Like you think he prepared? Like him and Dumbledore had the conversation where Draco was going to kill him. They've already had this conversation. Prepared like for this not an unbreakable vow like maybe that is not like it didn't it didn't wasn't ever going to go that far but like did they prepare for a conversation with narcissa of saying will you help draco and like how to ease her mind while also making sure that dumbledore gets enough time you know what i mean yeah i uh, laurie might have a better answer than me (laughs) uh i think it I think they did not. There's no evidence that Dumbledore ever knew about this unbreakable vow. And at the end, like when he's facing off with Draco in the tower scene, um, when they're talking about it, it sounds like Dumbledore isn't even aware of it. Oh, interesting. Okay, I never thought of that. He never knew about this happening. But he probably he might doesn't have. need to know. You know what I mean? Like I can't remember what Irvin, he's already Irvin discussed wrote. this with Snape. They already have their plan in place. I think so like, it's the kind of thing that they were expecting. And this is another Machiavelli thing that when you're in a time of war like this, you have to be always prepared for everything. Right. So mm-hmm. when these people show up, you know, he just has to engage whatever they had already planned. Um, and I think that the moment he found out that some of his students had fathers go into prison, that he was prepared for somebody to call on him saying, can you do something for my child? He's really vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he might have intervened on his own anyway, even without the parent coming. Right. Uh, I don't think he was prepared for Bellatrix. Yeah, I agree. Because I think um, he yeah. was surprised to see yeah. her. But yeah. I don't... Th- I mean, Bellatrix showing up was such a gift to him because it made everything so much easier. 
<laughs> well, and I feel like the, that's a conversation that he was like, just like waiting to happen. And it yeah. felt good to kind of like unleash a little bit on her and get some frustration yeah. out. She deserved it. <laughs> she brought it on herself. She truly, truly did. Yeah. So at this point, Bellatrix says, if I had sons, I would be glad to give them up to the service of the Dark Lord, which is easy for her to say at this moment because she doesn't have any children. But we do know that le- we do know the level that she goes, though, thanks to Cursed Child. Um, so not only is she willing to give up her children to the Dark Lord, she's willing to just like create a child for the Dark Lord. Like it goes deep. <laughs> That's like, Yeah. Is, um, is this where I do my cursed child digression, or is that too digressive? No, go for no, it. No, go ahead. No. So you're a canon of canon cursed child fan, yes? I love cursed child, and to me, it is the eighth story. Hey! I, will, I will say I didn't like it. I didn't really read it before it came out, and then we saw it and completely changed my mind. Yes, it was like it's so good. It is very so good. good. So we, some of us, were converts. We're now we love it. After I think, seeing it. I think there's a way of reading it that makes it really work. And that's a union way. Because what they keep saying is that Delphi is a shadow. Mm. Not that she's a real person. She is the shadow that is Albus's fears about his family as a result of the intergenerational damage that they all have as a family from Harry being a trauma survivor. Mm-hmm. And you know, at the final scene when Delphi is attacking, um, everybody says to her, come into the light, come into the light. And then when she comes into the light, she disappears. And Hermione says, uh, "She, there's no record of her. She never existed. She was a shadow. And the narration in the script says, what does it say? And slowly what was there is no longer there. And in the scene at the end, when uh, Albus and Harry are hanging out, uh, you know, after it's all over, um, Harry says to Albus, Delphi wasn't going anywhere. You brought her out into the light. So Bellatrix having a viviparous sexual reproductive relationship with Voldemort <laughs> And producing offspring is something that is much harder for somebody who's actually known them to imagine. But here's Albus, a generation removed, and he can imagine that because he's dealing with all of this out of removed. Meanwhile, mm. you know, the people like us who have read a million words, including Bellatrix and Voldemort, are going, what? They did what? <laughs> And, you know, and then there's like all these like weird questions that start coming into your mind that you don't even want. <laughs> yeah. like, but I thought reptiles, never mind. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, was Delphi hatched? It, oh, my it, God. It doesn't make as much sense to people who knew Bellatrix at this level compared to when you're the child that nobody's explaining anything to developing fears about your family 
Um, anyway, it, so in my reading, it's pretty straightforward that Delphi is a psychological creation and that actual Bellatrix and actual Voldemort did not do any sort of human mortal things. <laughs> I really like that. So human mortal things. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never heard Foolish of mortals. I, I'm amazing. just saying it feels so good to finally meet somebody who is like on the same level with Cursed Child as I think I can say all of us. Just because like I I feel like it gets so much crap like all the time and people just say it's fan fiction. And I'm just like, I really like what Vinny just said in the chat. He said Cursed Child is more thematically consistent with the books than any fan fiction I have ever read. And I a thousand yeah. percent agree with that. And then on top of that, like my one holdup was I could just never picture Bellatrix and Voldemort sexually conceiving a child and just like how on earth is that? Like mm -hmm. I, I can't. But like the way that you're describing it, now I'm just like Heck yes. Like, yes, that just makes sense. It just makes I wanna, sense. I want to, like, see it again with that perspective. Really yes. bad. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to... Um, yeah. even read it again. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. say one thing about people who say that it reads like bad fanfic. It's supposed to, because all of those AUs are being imagined by 14-year-old Albus. It's supposed mm -hmm. to read like bad fanfic. Lori. I like that, too. It's just genuinely really difficult also to read a script if you're not used to reading yes. scripts yeah. that are for theater and reading that through and having absolutely no idea how you're meant to read it. It can come across as a really bad story. But if you know how to read those kinds of, and that's why I just I don't think that it ever should have been put out as a screenplay. And I know that that makes it less accessible, but it's just not how it was meant to be taken in. And I think that that ruined it for a lot of people. What I wish they would yeah. do is film it and put it film out it. so that more people can see it instead of paying, you know, hundreds of dollars to go and see this play hundreds. that not everybody can afford. But like reading it is just really difficult. It's just really difficult. Yes. Um, all right. I have two more things to say about the digression of Chris Child before no, go for I, it. I give it up. Um, I am not. Sh I, I've heard a lot of people say if they didn't, if they hadn't done it in this format, if they had done it in a better format, a different format, then people wouldn't have hated it as much. I am not sure that's true because um, people love the original seven book series for such wildly different reasons mm -hmm. that I think. Uh, you can't please more than a certain segment of the population, no matter if that segment yes. will change depending on what approach you take. But there's always going to be people saying, I can't say exactly what it was, but I went there looking for the magic that I felt when I was in a different stage of life. And now that I'm an adult, if I haven't had it, then you know I would have to analyze what that was in order to tell you why I didn't experience it. Uh, it's it's very emotional to go back to your childhood that way. And the the reason why I would say Cursed Child is the eighth story is that um, I categorize, I, I think of uh, the seven book series as having three questions. The first one is, who would try to kill a baby? Mm. The second is, how come that attempt failed? And the third is, 
what do we do to bring that baby to adulthood successfully? And then, yes. <laughs> and then the eighth story is, what happened to that baby? Mm -hmm. Oh, he's 40 years old and he has school children now. Oh, does he? How and is a lot that of going? Still. Yeah, and he's like, a lot struggle of bus. Yeah. It's all well? Or is yeah. it a little more complicated than that? Yeah. Right. Well, and that's the one thing with a lot of people will be like, well, I don't like Harry there. I'm like, it's to me, I'm like, that's exactly if you aren't, if you went through all of those things and there's no suggestion that they have any mental health help in the wizarding world, of course, he's still going to be, he doesn't know how to be a father because he didn't have a father right. and he had Vernon growing up for 11 years. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and so they're like it all, it makes perfect sense for the environment that they're in for them to be acting like they are. Yeah. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but yeah, it, I mean that that right there is honestly the result of the of the fact that the wizarding world has no help for mental health and no help for trauma, anything like that. That is what causes Harry to be at that moment in time, the father that he is, which is not a very good one. And he does realize what he did. And I think that the the purpose of the eighth story is to try to help Harry in that way. Because by the end of it, he is much better. But anyway, yes. this is not about Harry or Chris Child. <laughs> Thank you for indulging my digression. What? Of course. Of no, course. I no, love that. Because I love talking about Chris Child, and I feel like it doesn't get the attention it deserves. So, anyway. Bellatrix is Snape's opponent here in the fight for Draco's future, which is kind of scary, in my opinion, to have Bellatrix advocating for you to basically not have a future. And she has to know that this is a death mission for Draco, or at least that's the intended purpose by Voldemort. Um, but yet she's still saying, like, I would give my sons to the service of the Dark Lord. And it's like, you would literally send them to death, which I mean, I'm not so questioning extra. what she would or wouldn't would. do, because I know that she would. And I think that that is what is so wrong with her. One of the major reasons. And that's just what makes her such an evil character. Um, I, I did think though, is that it's that is more similar than I want to admit to Molly Weasley letting her sons join the order, even though she lost her brothers. Yeah, yeah. I think Bellatrix believes she's doing the right thing the same way Molly Weasley does, and yeah, that was that was not a comfortable thing to to conclude. <laughs> well, I don't know how willingly molly gave her sons up to that yeah you know what she i mean i feel like she wouldn't let ron adult yeah because he was underage i think right. she can't i think if she if, if, if she had her way and she could say you're not doing this then she would have said that yeah. i don't she, i don't think she really wanted her sons to do that no that's not but they're also not what it says though at the end what of does she of say at the end of Goblet of Fire, when they're yeah. all in the hospital wing, mm -hmm. and um, Dumbledore says, we're going to have to get the order back together. And Molly says, you know that you can count on me and Arthur. And, you know, they say, oh, we need more help. And they say, oh, Bill can help. And, like, she actually, they're revolutionaries. They really are. Yeah. But I don't know how, like, 
the the difference for me would be the mindset in which she would ask her sons if they could help. It, it's like Bellatrix would be like, "Here, I'm gonna shove you up on this this chopping block," and Molly and, and Molly place. would Molly would be like, "Can I either a take your place or yeah. hold hold your hand on the way up if you choose to say yes?" Yeah. So that that's the difference for me with with the with the offering up or the the asking. Well, I mean, also these all these Slytherins are offering up other people. Like Bellatrix is offering <laughs> up someone else's child, and like Narcissa, unlike, <laughs> unlike Lily, Narcissa is not saying I will die for Draco. She's like, you will die for Draco. Yeah, and Snape is not wrong. You know, yes, yes, I will. <laughs> So Lori also then says that Snape here has a chance to offer Draco the kind of defense against the dark arts that he didn't receive at this age. And I also like think that this ties into the fact that Snape is trying to Snape is trying to rehabilitate Draco in a way that he couldn't or didn't for Harry. Um and like this is his way of trying to make up for it. Um well at um at that age Snape Dumbledore didn't reach out to Snape when the Marauders tried to kill him, which I think they both realize now he probably should have at least checked on Snape a little. But you know, so 16-year-old Snape thought that nobody cared whether he lived or died. And what he's doing for Draco is proving that he thinks Draco is worth dying for. That is a message that Harry always had from Lily. But um, when somebody is as lost as Draco is going to be this year, that is really profound. I think that makes a, a huge difference in Draco's life. And since we've mentioned Cursed Child, we see in Cursed Child um, that Draco's family feels that way about Snape. They know what he did for their family. Yeah. That was a really good point. Um, I don't know, guys. I'm like starting to feel a little sorry for Snape. I mean, like, I don't know if I'm ready to <laughs> fully this. Here we go. Yep, she I loves love That's what she's she gonna say. Her. She's mm -hmm. gonna get to the end of this podcast, Lori. Mm -hmm. This is what's gonna happen because history is gonna repeat itself. She's gonna say, <laughs> "I love Snape," <laughs> and it's just gonna be it. I don't know if I'll get that far, but I will say that I uh -huh. do feel for him at times. I just don't <laughs> appreciate the way that he treats Gryffindors. <laughs> I think that's fair. Anyway. So Snape takes more time to contemplate slash calculate when Narcissa begins to beg him here. And he eventually comes to the conclusion that this falls in line with his strategy. Um basically his plan anyway so he can do this for her and in turn it will also help him um but like what do we mean by that like how is this going to help snape is there anyone other than me gonna talk about this because i have tons to say about this if you go. do go for go. it this is the first time in his adult life that he's ever been important to somebody he has never until now been the most important person in anybody's life. The most. Okay. Right. The most. We, we know 
over and over again, it's pointed out that he forfeited the possibility of a romantic life because of how badly he messed that up. And, you know, then he chose a career path that precludes having romance, aside from the fact that he's ugly and, you know, not not the greatest person. Um, Lori, you know. I just have to say, I appreciate you so much because you just, like, dare I say you remind me of Snape when he's just telling it as it is and you said it was refreshing. You do that as well. Do you know that? <laughs> Well, I mean, I I really love this guy. Uh, I know you do, but and, you tell it like it is, and I just I completely appreciate it. Yeah. But, you know, it's also, you know, being ugly and ill-tempered does not get in the way of... You know, there's characters all over this universe who are horrible and they have mates. So that would not have necessarily stood in his way. He deliberately chose uh, a career where you can't have emotional connections because it's yeah. too risky. Um, and... You know, and he's bitter about it. That's the great thing about Snape is that he's bitter about everything. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, nothing is easy for him. And this makes something easier for him. Until now, he was supposed to kill the only person who thought highly of him. And now Narcissa, he matters to Narcissa. Her whole family's happiness depends on him. And the reason she came to him was for his true self, which is that he's a teacher and someone who has an emotional bond based on his day-to-day -day mm. work. He is never going to have a marriage. He's never going to have somebody in love with him, but he's the most important person in somebody's life now. Mm -hmm. That he's no longer alone. As long as Narcissa is somewhere in the world worrying about Draco and he's pledged to do this for her, he's in her mind. He's not alone. Yeah, that's a great that's point. That's really I've interesting. That. I've genuinely never thought of that. Because you don't think of him in the way that he, aside from everything that happened with Lily, you don't think of him as wanting to have people in his life. Like, that's just not something that I personally thought of when it comes to Snape. You know, you think about all the other things. And that's part of the reason why we do this, because when we're dissecting these characters and we're getting to know reasoning behind things, that's not only just about literature, that's also about understanding people in your real-time life and getting mm -hmm. to know why they make these choices. And that's that's one of the most beautiful components of this series. I, I would have never been like, oh, you know, he doesn't want to be alone. You know, he just wants to have maybe somebody in his life. And it's a stretch because, like, yes, it's a family friend, but he still clings to that. Well, and we, we also, we don't know this yet, but, so he's now the most important person in Narcissa's life. He, we don't know yet that he has also promised to be the most important person in Dumbledore's death. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, which is important, but just not as comforting. <laughs> no. Not for the yeah. survivor. Yeah. Correct. He hates it. Yeah, that's he a has, heavy. That's a heavy burden to have. He looks at him with uh, I can't remember the exact word, but like disgust or like loathing or hate. He yeah. hates that he has to do it in the end, and it just breaks my heart that like that's the final look. Like Dumbledore is pleading, and he's lo looking at him with it, like in a hateful kind of way, and it's like you totally misinterpret that. Well, 
not everybody misinterpreted that. Me as a reader for the first time misinterpreted that completely. Right. But he hated doing it. He yeah. absolutely hated doing it. Brandon said Lori should have like write a book or something. <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna write another one? Can I ask that? Um, well, I'm going to write a second edition of this one that includes Cursed Child and also that includes um, posthumous Snape, like the meaning of Snape in popular culture, especially considering some of the politics in the U.S. over the past five years or so. So that will be, and, you know, just that this character has meaning, you know, he lives as an archetype. Yeah. Uh, And then, yeah, there are other books I'd like to write, but, you know, I don't know when. (laughs) I will read. You just let me know. Yeah. Um, So they say, Snape says, the unbreakable vow, and his expression is blank and unreadable. Uh, Bellatrix, however, lets out a cackle of triumphant laughter and says, aren't you listening, Narcissa? Oh, he'll try, I'm sure. The usual empty words, the usual slithering out of action. Oh, on the Dark Lord's orders, of course. And I love that phrase, (laughs) slithering out (laughs) of action. Um, Yeah, this is is really um, Bellatrix's grievance against Snape, that he won't give the satisfaction that you're supposed to, like everyone in this gang is supposed to be initiated by like doing something really dirty in front of everybody else so that you're all, you're all bonded by this like guilt or you know just proving that you'll do it and he's been holding out on her <laughs> she doesn't think he's for real uh, mm-hmm. and that's i mean that's kind of a funny version of what these death eaters really want they want to see people um, hurt their souls they want Suffer. to turn people into more like themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I guess I, I guess I, my question, I don't know, maybe I'm jumping ahead of myself. I'm going to hold on. Okay, so Bellatrix notices Snape's lack of actual action when it comes to being there for the Death Eaters. He hasn't ever done anything irrevocably evil to demonstrate his commitment to Voldemort's cause. Um... So, Lori, you point out here that this potentially points to the fact that Snape has never cast an unforgivable. And I'm not sure if I agree with that statement, because I the way that I view Snape is that he did all of the Death Eater things in the first part of the war. But then when Voldemort fell, I don't think he really did anything in terms of casting an unforgivable or killing someone or I guess that's an unforgivable, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like he didn't do anything like that in the second part of the war. And that's potentially Bellatrix's grievance with him is that he didn't continue the work. Maybe. first. I have a devil's advocate thing to play. Well, I was just thinking like, how long was he actually like a full blown death eater? Because they weren't out of school that long. Was he a Death Eater when he was still at Hogwarts, or did he wait to get Didn't the mark they? until after he graduated, or whatever they call it? Graduated. 
Like, I know he was in with them, like the fr- people at school. Yeah, they're in with but the when, in crowd. But when did he become a full-fledged Death Eater? So, like, that's also something to think of, like, how how many years before Voldemort's downfall killing... I almost called them the twins. They're not twins. They're Lily and James. <laughs> Weird. Can we not? I mean, you guys know how I feel about Lily and James being together in the first place anyway, so... But so they died in 1981, correct? So when yeah. did they graduate high school? Or school like in 78, 79? You're killing me. Uh, well, they were, what, they, were they 21? Seven years, so they graduated in 1979, I think. I think so. If your math is math. Here's my devil's advocate point to... 1978. What, what you said, May. Is... That would have been the start, though. So the that that year, seventy eight to seventy nine. So they would have graduated seventy nine. Yeah. No, they graduated in seventy eight. I thought I literally just googled it. Hold on. Oh, I don't know. Well, if they started school September nineteen seventy one, and they have seven years of schooling, they start their final year in nineteen seventy eight. Years are hard, man. According to the wiki, they graduate in 78 and get married in the summer of 78 or autumn of 79. I don't know. That's just what my head is telling me. They were born in 60. Correct. So he had to be 11 to go to Hogwarts. So that would mean that they would have graduated. Their last year would have been 80 or 77 to 78. Because you graduate at 17. Okay. Right? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> at the end of the day. I don't know, Megan. What I was going to say. <laughs> is it, I'm just it nothing that, to do What I'm that. saying is it doesn't really, the specific year does not matter. What I was just saying is he didn't have like years upon years upon years. Like how long was Lucius out of school when he was like a full-fledged death eater? That's what I'm saying. But do you Compared think that you really need years to no i'm not i'm just saying a horrible spell no all i'm saying is that I, sometimes i think we forget that these people were so or are so young so like remembering the fact that he only was out of school for so many years as a death eater before Voldemort's whole thing killing harry or trying to kill harry in a bit backfiring that's all i'm saying is like i want us to remember like they're still young so like not sure. saying he, i don't I do think he cast an unforgivable, but like how many years of like death eater stuff was he doing compared to Lucius compared to Bellatrix compared to like his original people when he himself graduated in 1945. Well, to go kind of along with that, <laughs> um, devil's advocate. When he's back. Okay. Lillian James are dead. He's now spy master. 2.0 um he uh he has to keep his cover right we know that charity burbage is killed right in front of his face that's one of the instances where we see that he does nothing because he can't do anything because there's a greater good plan right so greater good yes so my thought process here is He's going to have to keep up appearances that he is a death eater. So when he's not at Hogwarts doing all that business, 
what is he doing to keep up appearances? Is he avoiding certain missions? Is he just strictly working? You have to stay clean of record because you're on this spy mission for Voldemort. So you can't do anything with Death Eaters. So like, that's where my head's at. Like, how much is he actually doing? Because I feel like first Wizarding War, I would think it would be... Uh, I, I don't see him not doing Death Eater type stuff. I just don't. And second Wizarding War, I could see that he wasn't doing anything Death Eater type stuff except for maybe having some contact, but having to keep up that Hogwarts professor appearance because at the end of the day, during his time teaching up until seven, you know, the ministry wasn't completely infiltrated by... Voldemort's people so if he gets in trouble you know there's not always going to be somebody on the inside to help him get out of trouble and to cover it up do you know what I'm saying so like he would have to be really good not doing Death Eater type stuff during the second Wizarding War am I talking in circles do I make sense I get it you also okay. have to remember too he is like his main thing is to be a spy so gathering information and he's a potions master so he's also probably making them if they need potions, if they need Polyjuice potion, if they need, I don't know. You, like, can't mess this juice, up because yeah. you're there to be there. Yeah. Lori, yeah. you can talk. <laughs> oh, unforgivable. Yes. Something that I think isn't made clear in this series is that the unforgivables are only three, the three that will get you prison time, but there are lots and lots of dark magic spells. You can do a lot of dark magic without doing the things that you know will get you in jail. I had sort of assumed that, oh, well, if Snape had been a Death Eater, I'm sure he did Unforgivables or other really gross things. It was only when Bellatrix said, oh, he's never done anything, that it opened up the possibility in my mind, like, oh, wait, has he never cast an Unforgivable? Uh, and... I, my guess is that I'm about 60% thinking that maybe he never has. Like, it doesn't, there's no conclusive evidence either way, but right, that definitely right. suggests it. We, I, I'm pretty certain that he's never cast the killing curse before, because when he says to Dumbledore, what about my soul? Right. Had he done that before, he would know what it was to split your soul that way. That's uh, true. So, I don't think he's ever done that. We don't know if he's done uh, the other two, but he had been on trial for war crimes. And if he had committed known unforgivables, uh, that would have come up. But that's that's looking at it from one perspective. The other perspective that to me makes more emotional sense is that there's only one curse, one thing that the author calls unforgivable that's not one of those three curses, and that's the word mudblood, and that shows up in Deathly Hallows in the Princess Tale chapter, and it's not capitalized, but she calls it the unforgivable word. And to me, that's like a, that's a really important equation. Yeah. And yeah. for this character, I think that's the important thing, and like the actual casting of legally dangerous spells is not the important thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, also, 
I tend to think that um, this author makes everything as hard as possible for this character. So the, imagining that he'll have to cast Avada Kedavra and he's never cast an Unforgivable before feels worse to me than if he's done it before. So he doesn't yeah. even know if he can do it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, with Snape, the answer is always the most miserable answer. <laughs> You're yeah. Right. When you put it like that, yeah, I can see him not yeah. ever having to do, and that's the first time he's yeah. And against someone that like he care like he cares about Dumbledore, you know, they have yes. been friendly in the past, and yeah. <gasps> when you also think about the unforgivable curses that are kind of uh, recognized and ministry, rec ministry recognized. I wouldn't necessarily say approved, but they're like known with throughout the Wizarding world, like who's to say he wasn't casting, you know, the spells of his own creation. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Sectum Sempra sure. is very high level dark. dark. Stuff. I mean, yeah. you're essentially bleeding out, right? Yeah. From many different places. Like you're that's not a quick to death. bit. Yeah. You so that, that. Yeah, so but I'm that's wondering a thing for Draco because he'd be dead. Yeah. Oh, that he's the creator and knows the. Well, yeah, yes. But also that it's not a quick death where like, because if it was and he didn't get there in time, oh, that's yeah, what I'm saying. convenient. Yeah. Um, but you know, well, he could have been maybe used that during his time where he was, you know, actually like Death Theater, Death Theater. It's not convenient that he happened to be there. That's exactly what he promised Narcissa that he was going to spend the convenient entire that year. it was slow. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't though. It was like it was so hair trigger fast. Just basically from the time that he makes this promise to Narcissa, I think he just doesn't sleep ever again. <laughs> like just waiting for Draco to get into trouble. Yeah. I think that I can I think that I can agree that he didn't cast Avada Kedavra, but I definitely think that he cast Crucio and Imperia Imperio. Like I just in order like in that first world war world war whatever you guys know what i'm talking about in the first wizarding part war. of the wizarding war i feel as if he was fully on board but i i like the catch that he does say in deathly hollows and my soul which would which would point to me as well saying he hasn't killed in that way at least but i would think that even if you killed with sectum sempra it would still split your soul because it's still murder, yeah. you know? So like, yeah. so maybe he... Not saying that you kill with that, but torturing well, right. seems to be could... a pastime of Death Eaters. Exactly. So I think that he has tortured. I don't think he's killed. But... We don't have, be... yeah, we don't have evidence either way. No, we don't. And, and yeah. I will say that the... Um, in in terms of the second wizarding war like going on now i don't think he's done much of anything to please bellatrix with uh <laughs> you know slithering his way out of action basically like he he hasn't done much of anything except give information which honestly if that's enough for voldemort it should be enough for her but she's just very sadistic is that the word that i'm not that he isn't yeah, because so. because he is too but i think that voldemort realizes at least his perception of what snape is doing for him is just as valuable as what bellatrix does for him in terms of like physicality of like doing things um but that's just not how she is 
but also Snape cannot cast an unforgivable while they're trying to craft this narrative that he's working for Dumbledore and Dumbledore believes that he's reformed. Like they're trying to make it so that Dumbledore is like 5149 believing that Snape's a good guy. And so he can't jeopardize that until like dun 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 he casts the one unforgivable that blasts that whole theory away. So he's not That's gonna true. be he's not gonna be frittering away that credit with you know unforgivables that he could avoid. Yeah. Vinny pointed out he said torch and he said torturing would split someone's soul easier than killing someone, in his opinion, or at least it should. And I'm wondering if it's like killing obviously that's like that's a straight split of your soul like you did something very bad torching's also super bad but is there a way to like mend it if you're very remorseful towards what you did or well, do you there's think a that way to mend count? it with killing i mean we know that that's isn't that like basically how we're told that you can undo a horcrux is by having yep. remorse and feeling it so yeah yep. i would assume that you can I also, to truly open a can of worms, if Snape has cast Imperio and Crucio, that makes him even with Harry. Harry has also cast right. those two and not about a yeah, Harry, And yeah, that's Harry. not an accident. And he's not in yeah. jail. <laughs> and he's not in jail. Because <laughs> I'm well, the chosen it's Harry one. Potter. <laughs> Although it would make things easier for Voldemort. If he was he's locked up. You just go get him. Through the bars. Well, hey, he's in. He's got all of those Dementors working for him. He would have an easy peasy time getting Terry. Lemon squeezy. The books wouldn't be as interesting, but hey, it's all right. Katie, it's your turn. Whoa, it's my Catherine! turn. Catherine! Whoa. Okay. Katie's Whoa. paying attention. I Everybody did not realize gets. we blasted through where I thought we were still no, at. It's fine, it's but fine. that's awesome. Okay. So, Snape pretty much ignores Bellatrix, right? Like, he's let her have her say, and now he's focused on Narcissa. And it specifically pointed out that their eyes are literally locked with each other's um, while she's still, like, clutching his hand. And, Laurie, you point out that Snape, like we were talking before, Snape can look directly into her eyes of an anguished mother and be able to show her sympathy. He doesn't need any sort of occlumency, because none of his slash Dumbledore's plan is jeopardized if he suddenly is now adding this protection to Draco that's on top of the protection he pretty much already gives to his students so it, and, and to Harry. Um, so like it doesn't, a quote from your book, it says, this costs him little more effort, but it brings Narcissa peace of mind. It puts the Malfoys in debt to him even greater than a life debt. It guarantees favor in Voldemort's eyes, and it yields the immensely satisfying bonus of shocking Bellatrix, which is, mm -hmm. like, the best ever. But truthfully, like, it's a win-win situation for him, as I think we've been describing this whole time. Yep. Um, so just a reminder of what is an unbreakable vow, because why not? Also, incantation unknown, there should be one. Think of that in your head. Yeah, I want, like, is it, or is it just, like, if you start saying the words or something, and you're, like, holding hands the right way, that's when it forms it, which, 
in all honesty, makes it pretty freaking easy to do. Hence why the twins probably could figure out how to do it with Ron. (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like the incantation wouldn't be like known because the incantation would be different for each vow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Don't hold your hand that way. My wand's out. That's like <laughs> I wonder really... if it's more wand work than maybe, but even you know? I don't know. Like the fact that the twins figured it out at a young age, I bet you that that is a flaw in this spell. Is that it's easy it, to do? It could mm-hmm. just be like your, your intentions with it too. It's like how you intend to go into it. Like all of these things combined. Yeah. Um. So an unbreakable vow is a type of binding magical contract cast between two parties that if broken by either party will result in the imminent death of whoever broke the contract. I do think it's interesting that like no part of this maybe it'd be different if it was between two other people, but no part of this, like Narcissa won't she only benefits from this really. Like she doesn't have any part and of the bargain no that she has to, to die. Yeah. 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 Um Hold on. Teddy, you cannot walk on my keyboard, buddy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you can sit on my lap. I was like, what's 46 for? <laughs> Did it type it in there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, as we know, Snape agrees to make the vow pretty much without like any hesitation and even goes a step further to suggest, well, Bellatrix, why don't you be the bonder? And her mouth is literally described as falling open. Um, and she's described multiple times as being astonished. And I did not think about this. Bellatrix is so shocked. She doesn't stop to think, hey, I'm also a part of this treachery to the Dark Lord. Um, like, that was not her intention when she came to Spinner's End. She was just trying to stop Narcissa. And now she's an accomplice. Yeah. Yeah. Yes absolutely like that's crazy you totally use that to blackmail you know what i mean like right. if you go like i'm just gonna be like look she helped us do it so yeah and like she, if, kill her too <laughs> snape is so good snape is so good at legitimacy and occlumency that he for sure can have that to hold against her and be like i can decide to show this or not you know yeah right i'm just she got so played and my whole response is do not mess with my guy. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be so sorry. I mean, truthfully, like he is like the master of half a second thinking. Like he is on his feet so hard. It's, it's very impressive. I, I really amused myself thinking if Volby find, finds out what Bellatrix was party to, he would be so mad. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone would like Do you think he would kill her? No. Or just torture her? Torture. Torture. Yeah, I would agree with that. She's too important to the cause, Tiffany. She's gotta bring that baby to life. Gotta manifest Delphi. I mean he would never think that she would betray him this way. I agree. You know, that he ha- he has this plan that he really wants and that she's going behind his back and they're going to, you know, be party to this backdoor exit to his grand plan that he's so proud of. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I think he'd be really mad. Yeah. yeah. It would be like... That's the stuff, would it be like man. the Gringotts? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. It would be like after yeah. the sword's gone mad, like... All the goblins. 
Oof. so angry. Wow. Why are you mad? <laughs> you mad, bro? Mm. Um, and I didn't realize this either. Snape gives her the chance to take it back and like not mm-hmm. be the bonder. Um, he almost has to like talk her through too because like she's just like so shocked. He's like, Well, you might want to mm-hmm. take out your wand and um and Lori says, This is how Bellatrix falls into Snape's web. In Ooh. spinner's end. In spinner's end. Ah, <laughs> Uh, so Narcissa names three vows, and <laughs> Snape agrees to them all. So the first is, will you, Severus, watch over my son, Draco, as he attempts to fulfill what the Dark, f- fulfill what the dark Lord wishes? I think I, I spelled, love I this that part one. in the movie. They do it so good. Yeah. It's like literally word for word, and I just love I it. I will. <laughs> um, I will. And he accepts personal responsibility for an endangered young one this is more than what a teacher would do this is a vow that will change him and sarah's gonna talk about the next two yeah so agreeing to protect draco from harm basically it's changing like the way that snape goes into like this next year so quoting from the book it says uh this will rewire his consciousness so that he is always aware of draco draco Clearly, I can't say his, say his name. Always primed to rush to his aid. This means that he will never be truly at rest as long as, um, at, wow, at rest as long as both Dumbledore and Draco are alive. And I've never honestly, like, stopped to think about how Snape changed this year because of, like, the things that he chose to say yes to, like, helping Draco and helping Dumbledore and the fact that when you're reading this the first time, we don't know that he's agreed to help Dumbledore. So right now we're just seeing him agreeing to help Draco and agreeing to like if he can't do it, like you got to do what Draco is going to do, and we don't know what that is yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's already agreed with Dumbledore to do this anyway. So like we don't know that first time going through. So like thinking about the fact that this whole year he's focused, like everyone's focused on what they're doing, and what he's doing is trying to focus on helping Draco. Like I've never made that connection before. Um, and so, like, the last part of the vow is he's asked about finishing the task um, if Draco can't do it. So uh, while Narcissa is asking him to take Draco's place, if he fails, um, Snape's hand twitches. And so, like, from the book she was talking about, like, there's possible meanings for this. So, like, not wanting to kill Dumbledore, which he does, like, in my opinion, he doesn't want to do that. But no. it's, it's like, the least, mm, I don't want to say it means, like, a better end, but essentially, like, Dumbledore's going to die anyways, and we know this. Dumbledore knows this, and he we knows noticed. that. <laughs> we noticed. Um, so it's either you know Dumbledore doesn't want to have to die at the hands of people like if it's going to be Bellatrix or would be like Fenrir Greyback, Greyback, because those are the types of people that it won't be a slow death. Like that's going to be something that they essentially. I think he says like they like to play with their food essentially. Yep. Um. And he doesn't want Draco to have to do this to have that death be on his conscience for the rest of his life. And he also knows from what we see later on when he he and um, Snape are talking, and we don't we don't know that this has taken place yet because this is in book seven, correct? With yeah. the Prince's Tale, yeah. so he's not like he's not just sitting there while Snape is fixing his hand; like he's in pain. So knowing that he's either going to die from this painful curse, Draco has to kill him, 
It could be Bellatrix. It could be Fenrir. It could be some other Death Eater that's just as horrible. Or Snape could just do it. And as much as like, yes, they all know like that. That's a sucky end. Like that's it's sad that that it's going to happen. But it's also sad that Snape has to be the one. But it's almost like the best solution to come up with because Dumbledore's going to die anyway. So either have someone that he trusts kill him and make it a fast end or he's going to have to suffer or have someone else like Draco that shouldn't be in this conversation in the first place suffer. Because we don't know what that curse would have done to him in his like ending days, hours. Well, I'm sure it wouldn't have been pleasant. Yeah. And truly we don't even know what he was going through the whole time that the curse was trapped. Like it couldn't, he couldn't have been, okay all the time you know what i mean he just doesn't say anything yes um and you know i think he's also thinking about the fact like it's pointed out in the book that and again i never thought about this either that he's agreeing to do this but he's also thinking the fact that he's gonna have to watch draco attempt to do that and have that as someone like he's taught this kid for years and he's known dumbledore for all these years and the whole premise of like them having this conversation or not the whole, but like part of the premise is like to save Draco from becoming him, right? So having to witness him attacking Dumbledore is also something that he like really doesn't want to think about, you know? So I have a new reading of the hand switch since I wrote this book. Ooh, do tell. I didn't understand, you know, I thought it was open to a lot of different interpretations. And and I really the same as what Harry is doing when he has to force himself to walk in the forest toward Voldemort and not defend himself and let himself get killed mm-hmm. because puts his wand in his yeah, shirt. That's a yeah. great parallel. You um to die like Lily did is easier. Yes. Because it's the immediate danger and you fling yourself to protect somebody else. It's mm-hmm. at the moment. But to plan ahead of time Mm -hmm. that you're going to give your life to protect other people, what you have to do is override your natural human survival instinct. And that's an act of will. Mm -hmm. And it requires you to be a master of death. And we see Harry do it. And I think that's what the hand switch is here, that he does feel that and he completely steadily makes the choice no i'm exercising my will i'm committing to this Mm -hmm. and that's a brave thing yeah yeah i i like i like your point of view when you bring it on because it always it makes me realize like there's so much there's so many layers to this story where like it is such a parallel between (laughs) characters of like having to go back like it's just crazy it's just so good it's really good <laughs> like it's i don't know how to so like ex- like explain what i it's just insane it's like when you were saying how it's like that that active conscious decision that you are going to do this and you have to prevent yourself like from trying to make it stop like that's just yeah it's just really cool it makes me think of um when the author wrote about harry's heart and how it was hammering mm-hmm. in its chest like almost as if it was trying to escape and how many beats did it have left and did it know that its time was was numbered and it's just like oh my god yeah yeah life force is really powerful and there are some things that are even more powerful than that 
and if you choose to give up your life to protect other people, uh, that's not everyone can do that. Yeah, they right, <laughs> so you can wrong. choose that here. He's um, he's honestly like, I know that everybody's a little bit all of all the houses and all of that, but like he's very much a Gryffindor behaviors within a Slytherin. Yeah. He's that self-preserving type of person because he has to be, but he's also exceptionally brave. Yeah. He's a good Slytherin. He is. So I love this line talking about like the different parallels of, of these books that it's in her book writing. He agrees to kill for Draco to give his life or to give his life or take Draco's place the way Lily did for Harry. Uh so it's pointed out that Snape says, I will three times, which honestly I'm blown away that we didn't realize this when we first did this chapter. And honestly, it's my fault because that was my section. Uh, because, you know, obviously three is a very important number. Um, and a lot of times, like, you know, there's the three trio, like they're stronger together. Like three is just a big number. So making a vow like this is like a major thing to do. And it is one of the biggest things that Snape has done in his life. And quoting for the book, it says, until this vow, Snape has never been the most important person to anyone in his life, adult life. But now someone's entire happiness depends on his survival and success. So the thought of killing Dumbledore isn't something that Snape thinks about or takes lightly, but that vow and the reminder that Narcissa needs him to be strong um, does give him strength. And I also think that him promising Dumbledore that he will be the one to do it also gives him strength knowing that as much as he doesn't want to do it, that's the best end for Dumbledore. Like the, the easiest and most, or at least not most least painful way for him to go, which is another thing that's, that's incredibly difficult to help someone do. Yeah. Like that is not something that you take lightly. And that is not something, you know, he just, and we see later on in book seven, like he doesn't want to say yes. Um, and he doesn't like that he said yes. So like him choosing like that in itself is also a brave thing for him to have done. So a couple things about this. One of them is, again, back to Machiavelli, uh, because this is the Half-Blood Prince. It's the Machiave Machiavelli book. Uh, he says that it's important not to go into evil if you have a choice, but sometimes you don't have a choice. And if you have to do something evil then do it in one stroke and to the greatest benefit of everyone and then stop as soon as possible. And I think that the definition of that is Snape killing Dumbledore. It Absolutely. does have to go from not performing unforgivables or dark magic to doing the darkest. And, you know, and they, they're packing as much benefit to everyone as possible into this yeah. single act. And, since this is Snape and everything sucks for him, um, it's sort of like you get one shot. <laughs> Do not miss. Um, mm -hmm. And I have another point, but I see Tiffany's hand up. <laughs> no, it was just to go along with what you were saying. Katie from our chat says, would Laurie say Dumbledore realized he needed to die for the greater good? Uh, I don't think so. I think he just knew he was dying. I agree. Yeah, okay. I agree. And that. I don't think he wanted to. I don't think he intended to. I, he, you know, he did it to himself. Yeah. And he doesn't tell Snape what he did either. Like no. He, he lies. That's just, that's just knowledge for Harry. So um, the other thing about 
why I'm he's going to be <laughs> casting this the killing curse because I don't think Snape has ever cast it before, and he you, it won't work if you don't mean it. But mm -hmm. if he misses, it will be bad. So mm -hmm. he can't mean it by wanting Dumbledore dead. He has to cast it from love because that's the most powerful source that Snape has at his command to do this most important spell. So he has to do it for love of Narcissa, that this is going to help her. But then mm -hmm. this is something that I didn't even realize for a long time. Dumbledore asked Snape to take on his greatest concerns so that Dumbledore could die in peace. Mm -hmm. You know, could you give Harry the final message and could you take care of Hogwarts after I'm gone? Yeah. As long as possible. And he needs that to go to his rest peacefully. So what he has asked Snape to do is, could your face be the last thing I see? Yeah. And when I realized that, you know, Snape is going to have to do this for love. He's not going to miss. I wonder how that changes the spell. Well, I mean, yeah. Maybe, and I don't know if this is true or not. Like, maybe depending on how you, how your intentions go, like, you could go peacefully, like, or it could be maybe you do feel, like, if, because Voldemort doesn't care how you go. Well, I'm sure he would want you to be afraid. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So maybe, maybe... And I don't know, maybe because Dumbledore knew this was happening anyways, that he he was going to be at peace. He was going to be, you know, not afraid or anything. Maybe the intention behind it changes, like, how you feel when you die. I feel it's like it's a horrible it, thing to talk about. It is, but I feel like it would. The, the intent behind casting spells is so prevalent mm -hmm. with, uh, if we think about... Um, getting rid of bog arts and stuff like that you have to think of something happy right like mm -hmm. you have to have this kind of mental state around you when you cast certain spells for certain things i would think it would have made it not I, easier for dumbledore but well, maybe and i think that I like know. when you think about death in, in in and of itself like it's not evil it's not good it just is it's just inevitable and I think that it's the fear around it and um, the unknown and those things that bring up the emotions. So, like, it's not necessarily, like, the death in and of itself, like, or death in and of itself, not the death, but death in and of itself, like, it isn't good or bad. It just, again, is. It just so, is, yeah. So maybe you can, depending on how you, you, um... You know, I think that people just assume, well, not assume, but like when people hear death or think about dying, it's they are afraid and they think of it as like a bad thing. Like, I don't want to die like Voldemort. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I want to live forever. So afraid of it. Um, and so like maybe that thinking is what throws off the dying part. You know what I mean? Like, because once you're dead, you're at peace for the most part, unless you're decided to become a ghost in this experience. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um. Like, if Dumbledore was hurting with that curse, he's not hurting anymore. Stuff like that. Would I don't know where I was going with that, but... Go ahead, Katie. Would agree that his soul would stay intact because he literally was doing it... One, it was yeah. sensual. Yeah. And two, it yeah. was out of... I do... I like what Laurie brought up, that it had to be out of love. He didn't cast that yes. out of hate for Dumbledore. Like, there's no way. Yeah. There's no way he could have... He didn't want to do it. 
and you have to have such a force behind it. But I don't think yeah. I think that he soul remained intact. I don't think so. I think it's split. Oh, Lori. <laughs> I don't think it's whether it's evil or good. Okay. I think contributing to somebody's death, especially if you love them, it tears your soul apart. Oh, you know and what? Hearing you say it that way, I guess I was thinking of it like emotionally, I, I think 100%. And I think we, he is the only example we see, we witness of what it's like to reintegrate your soul through remorse. And it happens when he is a mess, crying in Sirius Black's bedroom. That's his remorse. That's when he reintegrates his soul. Good and Lord. Oh, I like that. That's when, when <laughs> Dumbledore says to Snape, only you can know if helping an old man die will split your soul. And, and Snape has to think for a second before he grumpily says yes. Mm -hmm. He has to think, do I know how to do that? Can I split my soul and then reintegrate it to do, you know, to have the most miserable year yet of my life? Yeah. Um, and, you know, when he says yes to Dumbledore, it's because he knows how he's going to do it. Yeah. And when you watch somebody do it and they say, oh, you know, it's extraordinarily painful. The pain might kill you. He is a mess. Yeah. I don't like that, but I like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> With Snape, the truth about Snape is always when it's most uncomfortable and hardest to look at and when you most want to look away. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, so the last bit we're going to talk about, it correlates, like, the thankless job that Snape has trying to keep Harry alive and, for the most part, like, unscathed. Because, I mean, you know, Harry is scathed. Scathed. Yeah, he's a little <laughs> scathed throughout the years, but you know what? He's not dead. You're still alive. <laughs> it's like, what? But did you die? He did not. Well, yet. he did. <laughs> he did. <laughs> yet. <laughs> As a spinner's end, he hasn't died yet. <laughs> So versus helping Draco navigate this time while, again, keeping him alive and mostly unscathed as well. So the difference is that Draco's mother is the one asking, and she's beyond grateful for Snape for this whole thing. Um, and quoting from her book, it says, the gratification he generates from protecting Draco, Draco will give him more momentum to extend the same protection to Harry. So at the end of the day, like saving Draco from this fate, helping Dumbledore to be to have like the best possible ending of his life that he can, considering the circumstances, and even um, helping Harry are really all in the vein of the same goal. At the end of the day, they all are maybe different paths to the same goal of really taking Voldemort down and making sure that like Draco is not is not splitting his soul because he has to kill anyone helping Dumbledore's going to die anyway so giving him the best possible end of his life and then helping harry survive to the end of what his journey is as well love it i yeah i have something to say about it but this is so emotional um we love getting emotional here <laughs> on swish so, <laughs> just cry yeah. it out like, so when Snape was a teenager, he took the dark mark. Nobody brought him back from it. He shouldn't have taken it. It's not like the world did not owe him somebody to bring him back from it. But anyway, nobody did. Right. And until then, um, 
there's no such thing as an ex-death eater. Like, it's a life sentence. Mm -hmm. You can't not be a death eater. And Snape is going to be the first person to take somebody who has gotten the dark mark and bring them back across back to life as not no longer a death eater. Mm-hmm. This um, makes a purpose for the second half of Snape's life other than just apologizing for the terrible thing he did to Harry Potter. You know, like until then, he's just like trying to pay off his debt to the world. Yeah. Um, and he's not very good at helping Harry Potter <laughs> and he doesn't enjoy it. Um, right. His purpose in life to help Draco, though, he's the only one who can do it. Because when you're in Draco's position, Snape is the only person who can say to Draco, I know every single disgusting thing you've done, and I'm still here to save you. Like, Dumbledore can't do it. Draco would never trust him. Yeah, no. But this is the whole meaning of uh, Dumbledore saying, if it's dark magic, go to Snape. Get Snape. He understands dark magic. It's not that he loves it. It's not that he's renounced it. It's that he knows what it took to cast dark magic, and therefore he can reverse it. And people who have never cast dark magic cannot reverse it. That's why he so, didn't want Madame Pomfrey when he came back Madame on Pomfrey the room. Madame Pomfrey couldn't do it. Get me Snape. Get me Snape. No, yeah. I'll take you to the hospital wing. No, nope. I need Snape. Yeah. Someone who has done this can know how to undo it mm-hmm. if they have undergone remorse. So... The second half of Snape's life, after he came to Dumbledore on the mountaintop and he wanted to die, and Dumbledore said, no, you, there's still, you can still do good with your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, saving Harry Potter is a fraught thing, but saving Draco, that is something that only he could have done, and yeah. mm-hmm. Narcissa did that for him. And this is... Uh, this is a big reason why I do love Dumbledore, what Hagrid says about him, that he believes in second chances. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, he gives that kind of Phoenix gift to Snape that you can uh, protect somebody by getting, you know, by inter- interrupting, by swallowing the killing curse meant for them and bring new life that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, my guy Snape, I understand that a lot of people dislike him so much that they don't want to engage fully with his story, but I do think that's where the story goes. I think that um, when we talk about him on our podcast, I think a lot of what we have to focus that we focus on is his treatment of, of children that he's like, of the Gryffindor children, for example, Harry Potter and co. And I try and see the underlying meaning is what you're saying when you said something that it's hard to look at, right? When you're so against somebody, it's hard to look at the parts of their story that would maybe make you think otherwise. And I'm not saying that I completely agree with everything that he does, because, I mean, you even say in your book, some of the things he does is, is just absolutely horrible to these kids and in, in, in the treatment of them. But, like, I don't hate him. No. So There's absolutely no reason for me to do that. 
it's sometimes easier, I think, to understand when you relate this to contemporary issues. Yeah. I don't like thinking about hate groups like white supremacist groups that are into genocide. But mm -hmm. there are people who go down that path and it harms them and it harms their families and they need somebody to help them regain their sense of themselves and mm -hmm. to turn their back on that life. Somebody like me is not the answer. Somebody who has done that, who they don't have to be ashamed in front of, that understands, that's who can do it. And I would not have told, like six years ago, if you told me that we would have actual white supremacists making White House policy, I was ignoring. I didn't want to think about it. I thought that was out of the question. Yeah. Somebody, you know, this country has tons and tons of different kinds of people. Is it real to not care about people that are so far from us that we just dismiss them? Somebody has to care. Somebody right. has to care whether Crab and Goyle can get a job after high school. Yep. Right. Somebody yeah. has to care that some boy is so horrible and loathsome that you know everyone just leaves them to their own devices. Some, you know, who's going to care? Are they are they people? Do they deserve somebody to care about them? And yes. who are they going to listen to? Yeah. You know, is this go. like, you know, if we want. Snape to be like a perfect angel person and he's not worth considering. Otherwise, that's not how the human population looks. Yeah. That's yeah. not the world we live in. And if somebody can be cared for and, you know, and he can use what he learned and he, he lost someone, he lost people he's responsible for. He lived, you know, why did he live the whole second half of his life? is so that he can be the person that's there for somebody how nobody was there for him. And and he was given that chance. And so I he, think that Yeah, by Dumbledore because Dumbledore actually mm -hmm. is the same only it was a different century. So people, you know, he's gotten to be a lot nicer since then. Yeah. But <laughs> Dumbledore was the same. Yeah, and and the, it's the fact that he actually had that chance to you know try and make those changes it's just giving the chance and if we want to relate this to something teaching because i know people are anticipating their bingo cards so i got to talk about education but like with students giving them a fresh start every single day yeah and giving them that new chance every single day because when you see behaviors from children or you know, young teens, adults, that's a secondary thing that you're seeing. Yes. So what are you missing underneath that needs to be addressed and talked about and cared about? And that's what we really need to do. And if we want to think about going back in time, you know, even if there hadn't been uh Voldemort trying to come back and and what have you and Dumbledore working behind the scenes to try and train Harry and make that not happen like for for Voldemort to take over you know 
what would have happened to little Slytherin Draco Malfoy if more attention had been paid to him by the headmaster of Hogwarts? You know, what would have happened to him? He was looking for somewhere to belong. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I think the I mean, one thing that... the Slytherins. Oh. That, sorry. Every I just single child. In, but like, no, no but like every single kid at that school needed him around. And as much as I love him, he is my favorite character. He wasn't there. Yes, I know that he was doing other things and that that's where he needed to be. But it says a lot, and I see it at my school, whenever the principal pops into the classroom, the kids light up. That's their, they know that that's their leader. That's someone that they look up to. If you show your face, have some conversations, you can see the kids and make these connections with them. And it, any teacher at that school could have reached out to any one of those students that they saw going down a bad path. McGonagall's guilty of it. Flitwick is guilty of it. Yeah. Snape, you know, did his darndest with playing his little spiral little but like <laughs> you know what i mean it, yeah it all starts with the kids and it's all about your mental health let's go think of it sorry don't be sorry oh, sorry <laughs> it's your I, it was your turn to rant or not rant <laughs> but uh what, what do we call soapbox it? soapbox i Thank needed you. to do it because the the fact of the matter is is that these were kids that were lost from jump. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. And I think because we are we are in Cleveland where they automatically a lot of people just write them off. Yes. And that's a thousand percent not okay because it's just not. Like they they're kids. They're learning and you're already writing them off before they even have a chance to like jump off the ledge and like get started with their lives. Yes. And that's not good at all. Yes. Yes, I teach in inner city Cleveland, Lori, if you didn't know that. And we're trying to give our kids the best possible start that we can with very little funding. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as if you're working against things at times because, oh, the scores in your school aren't great. Guess what? We're just going to take money from you, and then that'll make your scores get higher, right? That'll make you want to reach these goals, right? No, actually. And by money, I mean pay pay me to get teacher bodies in there so we could teach these kids. You know what I mean? It's not all about having money to, like, buy things. Like, I could teach if you give me a pencil and an eraser. Like, I could teach a kid. But I, we need bodies and caring adults around. And that's, that's the, that comes right back to the point that I was making. If Dumbledore or any one of these professors would have stepped in and, and, and said, how are you? Hi. Just even that can yeah. turn somebody's day around yeah. and make them feel cared for. I, I do like that we see Dumbledore learning that lesson, and it took him a long time, but I think it happened for him after Sirius died. Uh, he had to understand that that kind of caring and connection was important, and that's why he sends Snape to connect with Draco all this year. Mm-hmm. Because by that time, when the, the conversation, jumping way ahead to the end of this book, the conversation between Draco and Dumbledore at the top of the tower is so intense and wonderful. I know. And 
Draco is experiencing everything you just said. But it's not time for him to hear that from Dumbledore during the time that he's all caught up in his drama. For, you know, it's Snape who can who has the best chance of connecting with him then. And yeah. I, I like that Dumbledore knew to send Snape and didn't try to do it himself. Because it was too late for him. It, it just it it's it wasn't Draco doesn't know that Dumbledore is just as dirty. <laughs> he <laughs> wouldn't trust him. Mm-mm. Yeah. Do you gonna say something? Well, I was just thinking. I think it was more so the fact that Dumbledore knew he was dying that changed his viewpoint on like he he only had so many days left. I just read this book um, that people's like perspective on life when they know that like uh, like if they're reminded like after nine eleven happened, mm. um, a lot of people changed how they were living because they were reminded that like life is fragile and life. Yes. Like you, you aren't owed any days. No. Um, and the same is like when people are older and they know that their time is coming to an end, their like perspectives change of like how they want to spend their time and they want to spend it more with like quality versus like, I want to do all of these things and get all of these things. They want to spend it with people that they love and like doing all those things. I wonder if it was more of like, he know, he knew his time was limited. So he wanted to make sure that like everybody had in that limited space, like Draco had that chance of like having someone there, like say being there for him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why he treated, um, well, one, I think he also realized how wrong he was with shutting out Harry the year before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does he um, talk about that? Um, when does Dumbledore talk about forgetting what it's like to be young? Is that at the end of five when Harry's uh, throwing his stuff yeah. around? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of one of that's what you're referring to is like after Sirius dies, he's like, yeah, you forgot what it's like, but to be fair to Dumbledore, he really, he, he got to be young, but he kind of didn't. Yeah. 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 I mean, really he grad the, the summer that he graduated school, uh, his mom is dead. His dad's in, he's, is his dad still in prison or his dad dead? His dad, Regardless, his dad dies in prison. Dad died in prison. Yeah. So he doesn't even one of way. his parents. His sister then is killed in an accident and we don't know. He might've been like, it was him with his brother and then his friend. Right. And so then he doesn't talk to his brother for years. So like he's what, 17, 18 years old when all of this stuff happens. And that's still young. And you have to live to be over a hundred and whatever. He's, he's at Hogwarts, but he's not doing regular Hogwarts student things. Yeah. He's researching and, you know, making all these strides as far as like magic goes. And it's, when were you young did you yeah. always have the beard well and then think like then he starts having to <laughs> yeah, like fight one. and work against um grindelwald right and then like voldemort comes along yeah so like he never Boyfriend really had got a no break like if we want to talk about sad stories like chalk has one his is up too like that's all that's another this is just a book of sad stories doing yes <laughs> <laughs> everybody wants to say it's a story of a love and mother's love but, it's like no there's a bunch of sadness just throw it at us. We'll we'll read it over and over again and talk about it with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I do nice. like my guy Snape though. He does make me very happy. <laughs> Lori, I have to say, I'm not gonna say I love him. You don't have but, to love him. I'll love the, him. <laughs> you love him for me. But the more the more I talk to people who appreciate Snape's character like a lot and and do relate and love him, and you said Snape saved you, like he really. He got me through a lot of things. See, and then I can grow 
to appreciate more and more and more and understanding why he does the things that he does. So I think that that's what's important with Snape is like, again, I know you guys want me to say I love Snape. I'm not going to say it. Well, you just did. You just did. You just said it. We We have the soundbite. Yeah. Yes. Um, (laughs) Put it at the end of the episode, Bev. But I have to, like, I have to say that a lot of the times before we did these two episodes with you, Lori, like, anytime we would bring up something about Snape, my mind, sometimes it would just shut down and be like, no, I hate him. I don't even want to talk about it. I don't want to give him any credit for anything. I don't want, like, like, that's how my mind would go. And I think that. I think that what is so important with Snape, though, is not that you love him. I don't because I think that I'm by no means trying to downplay the fact that you love him (laughs) as a character. But what I'm saying is that I think that, like, the author's point of his character is not for somebody to love Snape, but for somebody to understand why Snape is the way he is and to be able to give credit to a character who was imperfect as a lot of these characters in this book are like honestly not any single character in harry potter is perfect so like just (laughs) learn like seeing these characters develop throughout all of the books and being able to see their flaws and see the positive sides of these characters and give credit where credit is due when it comes to snape for a long time, I was shutting down the credit conversation when it comes to him. But I think the more that we break down his character and the more that we really try to understand where he's coming from and why he does the things he does and the sacrifices that he had to make, it makes a lot of sense why he is the way he is. I by no means want to say it's okay how he treats some of the students because it's just not no matter what your background is like I don't care what your background is you are not to treat children the way that he does in some situations but like you know looking at the big picture of Snape he's a great character to really break down and like try to understand because he has so many layers like we like to say like an ogre like Like an onion they have lots of layers but i just think that um i don't know i just i appreciate his character so much more by the end of these conversations that like i can say i appreciate him and that i can understand some of the things that he does and says and and appreciate his sacrifices like really appreciate the fact that he had to do this unbreakable vow and he had to kill someone who he truly trusted and confided in all the time etc like he did some i really want to swear right now because like he he did some really hard stuff like (laughs) like harder than a lot of the other characters um like we talk about harry and like the things that harry had to do he had to walk himself into that forest and decide that he was going to sacrifice himself but that's kind of the same thing that snape did and we don't give credit to snape for that 
but it really is almost on the same level as Harry in terms of sacrifice. And it that's big. Lasts and it for should years. be acknowledged. Yeah. So there's a difference to me between what Harry had to do and what Snape had to do. Harry didn't have to change. Harry was trying not to change. Harry was trying to remain himself yeah. and not let Voldemort change him and not let being the chosen one change him. He His job was to become an adult as still himself and never change. Snape changes. Yeah. That's yeah. harder. Yeah. And yeah. Harry believes that he's a good person. Snape does not believe he's a good person. And there's lots of people in this world who, from birth, for whatever reason, justified or not, go through life believing that they're not a good person. And it doesn't necessarily correlate to reality. There are some horrible people walking around thinking that they're great people. You know, this mm-hmm. it doesn't correlate to anything. But if you are somebody who your whole life felt like you're not a good person, but you're still here and you're still trying to do something, you can read these books too. You're in these books too. And I I have some something that I want to tell Harry Potter fans because I see people struggling with this and I thought it doesn't have to be so hard. I see people wanting to love and fully engage with all of the Harry Potter stories except for Snape, which you can't really do because he's sort of in the whole thing. Yes. I want the main to, thread. I want to tell people understanding someone does not require you to forgive them. Say it again. I think We're people are afraid them. that if they yes. have empathy for someone and they understand them, that means that they now have to love and forgive. No, it doesn't. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. But you know, are they human? Do you understand them? Mm-hmm. You are letting that understanding happen in you does not require anything further. Perfectly yeah. said. Lori, everything you say just makes me speechless because it's just so good. <laughs> it's just so good. Like everything's just like so well thought and just makes me think. And I really enjoy that. I really like this series. It's really robustly written. Mm-hmm. Like it, it stands up to a lot of analysis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, and my guy is the reason, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely one of the main reasons. I mean, although you know, Dumbledore gets a lot of credit. I, w- <laughs> I would yeah. say Snape, Dumbledore. And you gotta throw Harry in. I guess. I guess. <laughs> Looks about. I mean, it is called well, Harry that's Potter. why people say that they are the brothers of the tale of the three brothers. Yeah. 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 Love it. All right, Lori. This can't be your last time on this podcast. When? When will I? I can't believe you still want to listen to me. Woo! I can listen. To <laughs> you're so you're hours so upon good. hours. I don't know when, but it's gonna happen. Yeah. I well, agree. I've got lots to say. We're here Have for me it. on again. And so are our listeners. You yeah. should see this this Discord talking about you. One just recently as of 9-16. Yes, Lori. That's a perfect quote. Clap, clap, clap. See, everybody's here for you. <laughs> Thank you. Shall we do some lightning bolt questions? Yes. Okay. So our listeners on Discord submit questions, Lori, just so that you know. And we kind of do like a... <laughs> it's kind of funny because like our initial... 
idea of the lightning round question was that we would rapid fire answer things and it that lasted for like two episodes and it just doesn't work Um, i don't think i ever rapid fire answered anything so i'm just gonna um we'll pick a couple and go from there so i think hold on i think that some of these did some of these pull old ones that would be weird they definitely did. Hold what on. the Let me heck? try and find where. Um, okay. Marguerite asks, did Snape have to keep the act outside of Hogwarts and not just around the Death Eaters? Which act? <laughs> just being I think a spy that he in was general, just... I guess. Being himself. I feel like his act was, I don't know. I feel like he's a quiet person anyway. I feel like he's someone who keeps to himself unless he has to not. Yeah. He what do you uh, think? He does the hiding in plain sight thing, which Ron yeah. and Harry learned to do also, where if you're going to lie, uh, make up a story that's as close to the truth as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, we know how much he loves company. Like, anytime he can be alone, he's thrilled to be alone. And I think that's not just because of acting, but just because he likes to be alone. True. Yeah. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I know. Me too. Katie, do you have anything you want to add? I don't want to just skip over you. No, you're good. You're good. Okay. Continue. Next question comes from Katie. What does Lori think that people have to do to become a Death Eater? What a question. I was going to ask this too because... Because we initially said that we think that they probably have to kill someone, but I don't no, think that's I don't true think so. because Draco yeah. obviously does it. No. And I don't know why we didn't talk about that when we talked no. about this because Draco clearly... Yes, we did. We did? We talked about it. Yes, yeah, I think, I think because he did. obviously he doesn't he doesn't kill anybody because he hasn't they have they have that conversation we talked about it. We talked right. about it. I have an answer. Okay. Go for it. I don't think you have to do anything. I think <gasps> the only thing you have to do is take the dark mark because what you're doing is well that connection, the mental connection that Harry has with Voldemort, that's involuntary, but the dark mark is voluntary. When you take the dark mark, you're agreeing to feel Voldemort's emotions in your body. Mm. And you're agreeing to let him control you. That's his way of trying not to be alone. He's he's trying not to be lonely. And you, you're giving yourself to him. Yeah. And that's all that's required. Also, once, they need Once he numbers. has that. <laughs> I said they need numbers. Yeah. Once they he need has people. You, once he has you through the dark mark... It's it's really just like a blank check. It's like do my bidding or you're gonna get killed by me. Yeah. yeah. Or one of my other people. Yeah. Cause yeah. There's no escape from that. that. Um Katie, different Katie. Asks, Still not me. Lots of Katie. Um, how disastrous would it be if just killing someone automatically created a horcrux like all the all the death eaters would have them you know not all of them true but i would say a lot of people would 
That was more of just like a statement. I liked the statement though. <laughs> That's not a question. It makes um, me uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't like that. Definitely. Um, Sam asks, what was your biggest realization tonight about Snape? I feel like there are a lot and now I can't like pinpoint one. I just really like, I've never really thought about the correlation of, um, like their life paths, like are parallel to each other. There's a lot of Mm. that in this series and I can appreciate someone else pointing it out and be like, Oh yeah, I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. Or like the fact that he sees a a lot of himself in his situation in Draco and then he's trying to write what happened to him. So it doesn't happen to Draco. Um, I I think my thing was, I always had canoned that his, Snape's soul never split when he killed Dumbledore. Yeah. But Lori, when you said that you thought it did, and then it came back together when he was, would you say at Grimald play, Place going mm-hmm. through Sirius's room and finding the picture of Lily? I liked that. You stole mine too. Fuck it. I know. I was going to say that too. Well, also, I just super appreciate, like, when we talked to Jess, we had the great Snape debate, like, way early on. and then Oh, my gosh. So early on. And, like, now we're talking to Lori, and, like, it's just, at the start of this podcast, I made fun of Snape constantly. And then I slowly started to realize, yeah, you're not really any better than when the Marauders were doing that. You probably shouldn't be doing that. This character is not just meant out there to be beat down with insults. There's a lot of layers in there. And, like, the more I talk, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't have to love him. I don't have to think he's great. But, like, I understand him a lot more. And I appreciate that. And that's the brilliance of the author, too. Because she wants you to do that. Yeah. She wants you to go along with them and think these things of Snape. And then, you know, at the end, be like, ah! It's also the difference of, like, (laughs) reading it as a teenager versus Mm -hmm. reading it now. So, like, honestly, when we started this podcast, like, I hadn't necessarily analyzed these books the way that I am now. Yeah. So, so, like, when we were first starting out, it was more so I almost still had the mentality of, like, how I would talk about these books, reading them as a kid over reading them again now you know whereas like especially now because we're getting into much darker and deeper things than you know what we talked about in sorcerer stone um so like getting to these conversations about snape and like having the conversations we had whenever we were breaking down the chapter with the unbreakable vow or breaking down you know snape at the end of prisoner snape during goblet like like everything it's just realizing all of these things as we continue to go on and not only like i mean we've just gotten we've gotten into the groove of analyzing now that we're all the way on six too so it's just like it just happens differently you know so it's like I'm just really glad that we, yes, we had a great Snape debate like a really long time ago, but this is kind of like a A round two and it, and I'm glad that we did it again because even though we talked about a lot of maybe the same things when we did this the first time, talking about it a second time after really analyzing the past five books Mm -hmm. just hit different. 
you know yeah. it was like we've talked about some of these things to death and then just bringing it up again with another perspective was like wow I, you're supposed to think these things about Snape or or you need to realize his sacrifices I mean I know that I like all said said all of this pretty much a couple minutes ago but it's just like you it just hits different now that we've been talking about it for so long to just bring back the conversation it it's just like different this time I don't know totally I agree couldn't agree more um I think last question is from nope rope do you think that Snape is horrible to the Gryffindors because the Marauders were all Gryffindors. I, I think. think the... Oh, <laughs> no, 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 you. <laughs> I think he feels that Slytherins are victimized and never get a fair shake, and that the only solution is to just be mean in return. And yeah. try to get back at it that way. It's not a mature way. Yeah. Uh, you can see where it comes from. Yeah. I agree. You can see that for sure. I agree. It's a very childish thing to do, but a lot of the things that the characters, adult characters in this book do are child, childish, immature ways of doing things yeah. because a lot of them, I feel like, weren't given a real childhood everybody's childhood not giving a real up. childhood you know I mean? not being having things taken away from them up. and yeah not being able to develop because i mean developmental stages within people are so incredibly important and milestones that you can hit and and some of these people if we want to talk about serious being an azkaban um dumbledore essentially having to be an adult way before his time um there's just, just a lot of growth that didn't happen also for personalities based on my friends that i know who identify as slytherin i understood them a lot better all of them when i realized they all expect to be misunderstood they all expect that no one's going to give them a fair shake, that people are going to misinterpret their motives and assign bad motives to them, and nobody's going to care what they really felt. So they, And sometimes this means that they act like they've already been misunderstood when you would have given them a fair shake, and you know you have to chase them down and say, no, no, I, I believe you, I believe you. Um, but that tendency, I think, I, I think he's acting like somebody who thinks that... Um, Slytherins will never be treated as fairly as Gryffindors, so he might as well be horrible about it. Megan, how do you, how do you, what do you, do you relate to that? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like we've had to preach a lot on this podcast that, like, not all Slytherins are evil, but we can yeah. also go on this fact of, like, saying, like, not all Hufflepuffs are nice. You know what I mean? True. Like, but that's the thing that, like, everyone uh, automatically assumes, like, oh, you're in Slytherin, like, you're evil, like, blah, 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 like, well, okay, that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Not true. My wife's cool. She's not evil. I, I think know. she's hot. She loves us hot. So. <laughs> if you love pop, you're evil. That you means know, I'm, I'm evil just too. saying. I'll stand by we that went, statement. <laughs> we went to Target 
and I bought high pulp simply orange juice just high because pulp. we talked you about make me it. Sick. Lori, <laughs> do you still like orange juice pulp? Honestly, I like yes. all of them. I like no pulp and lots of pulp, and this I'm not just saying that. <laughs> How do you feel about bananas? <laughs> I love bananas. Yes. I love yes. them. Out. No, Lori. <laughs> How about geraniums? <laughs> How do you feel about okay. flowers? Grass. Yes. Flowers. <laughs> oh my I, agree. I think they're beautiful. We're just subjecting her to like two years worth of <laughs> jokes. <laughs> Yeah, if you're going to come on this podcast more than once, we've got to know where you stand on certain important issues to Swish and Flick. Oh, my gosh. Marietta. Oh, I've got tons to say about Marietta. Can you sum it up in a sentence? (laughs) Uh, I'll just say the word mirrors. Uh, no. The answer to your no. question is no. I cannot sum it up. In this okay. <laughs> there have been many, many a debate on this podcast. Uh, too many. I think that people think that I am a fan of hers. I never said that, but. What are you, a ceiling fan? <laughs> oh my gosh. What are, where are we I'm at? What are we doing? Um, what are we doing? What are we talking about? Story. We're on the fan story. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Literally everyone in the Discord are, are asking the most wonderful questions, but we would be here forever. <laughs> oh, let me save that meme someone just posted. Thank you, Kayla. Okay. This week's fan <laughs> story comes from Andrea Gariolo, all the way from November 2019. Dear Swish and Flickcast, my coworker introduced me to your podcast a couple weeks ago and during my long commute to college every day. I've already listened to so much of it. Mm. You're all so funny, amazing, and knowledgeable. As finals week is quickly approaching, your podcast is my saving grace. Listening to it is my time in the day to decompress and stay connected to Harry. When I was about seven years old, the Disney Channel went through a phase when all they did was play Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And every time I turned it on, it was a scene when the basilisk was searching for Harry in the chamber, which terrified me. The third time I randomly saw this scene on TV, my mom caught me watching it and yelled at me to switch the channel. Scared of the creepy basilisk and also my mom's reaction, I did not attempt to watch again. Growing up in a very religious household, my parents banned me from exploring the wizarding world. It was actually this restriction that made me feel so connected to Harry as his, quote, parental guardians, Vernon and Petunia, hid magic from him too. Similar to Hagrid giving Harry his acceptance letter to Hogwarts, my aunt gave my sister and I all eight Harry Potter movies for Christmas the year I was 14 years old. This Christmas gift went against my parents' strict rules, but my sister and I still watched all the movies and I had I have been hooked ever since. It actually took me a few more years to pick up the books because I loved the movies so much. This past summer, I went to Universal Studios for the first time. None of my family members would spend the money on admission, which I actually was happy about because I got to explore the Wizarding World however I wanted. That's Whenever kind of a blessing in disguise. Yeah. If you're going with people who aren't into it, mm-hmm. it's best to uh, go solo. Whenever I was online, in line for the rides, I listened to Jim Dale's audiobooks of Sorcerer's Stone to pass the time. That's such a good idea. Yeah, I've never thought about that before. It was truly the best day of my life. I am unashamed to admit I drank three butter beers in one day. <laughs> 
Um, that's awesome. Don't be ashamed of that. (laughs) That's like a gold medal. (laughs) (laughs) After I returned from my trip to Florida, one day Freeform was playing Prisoner of Azkaban on TV, and my mom meandered into the living room and started asking me some questions about Harry. I was shocked at her curiosity, but I started to explain the storyline to her. I'm pleased to share that this summer I marathoned all the Harry Potter movies with my mom for the first time ever, which I always thought would never happen in my life. She fell in love with the magic and all the characters, particularly Gilderoy Lockhart. I believe this transformation proves that our choices really do show who we truly are. People can change when they're introduced to and educated on things they are unfamiliar with. There's a little bit of magic within all of us, and sometimes it just needs to be encouraged to be brought out of us. My mom and I are both proud Slytherins. There you go. <laughs> Megan has mentioned in the podcast that she worked for <laughs> Disney a few years ago in Frontierland in the Magic Kingdom. I did. Last year, I did the Disney College program, and I worked at Pecos Bill in Frontierland. Quick, oh, how cool. Quick service was an interesting experience, to say the least, but I absolutely <laughs> loved going to Disney every day I head off. I'm curious as to what what your role was. Merchandise. I worked in all of the gift shops in Frontierland, including the Trading Post. Prairie Outpost, Briar Patch, and the Splash Mountain gift shop. How did you enjoy your experience working for Disney? The first time it was great. I didn't like it the second time, though, if I'm being honest. No, but what do we say? The first time it was great. It was the best thing I will never do again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. And have any of you traveled to California to go to Disneyland? Yes. Yes. Not yet. I am taking my first trip there in January, and I am so excited. Oh, my God. I hope you had so much fun. Thank you so much for reading this email. It is very long, but it is my story, and I am proud of it always. So thank you very, very much for listening to my story, and thank you for creating Swish and Flick. It is a joy to listen to you all. Write us back and tell us how your trip to Disneyland was. Yes. Best, Andrea. Thank you, Andrea. The message in this story is, like, my favorite of all time. Like, the best. Also... We talked about changes this whole episode and how people can change. Yeah. Oh, my God. I just, I really like it. I love it. Thank you, Andrea. Changes. And I love that you and your mom get to share magic now. That's magical. It's magical. Tell me a joke. So I pulled, I pulled a couple Snape jokes because I figured they... They're in good taste, though. It's not like, it's not me being mean. I know I, I just said, jokes. don't make fun of Snape. No, these are from an We're actual Harry Potter talking about how we need to not make fun of Snape. And now if, I, with so jokes. if I hear greasy hair I know. one time, I, know. Oh my God. I won't say it. Don't do it. But I did pull like three of them because why not? All right. Which Hogwarts professor gets blamed for everything? Snape. Professor Snape Goat. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. What's a potion teacher's favorite social media program? Snapechat. <laughs> oh my god. I was thinking Snapegram. <laughs> Snapegram. Snapegram. Last, last one. Did you hear about the rumor that Snape is an evil wizard? Yeah, they're pretty severus. Oh my god. You're already. I have orange jokes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Here's one. Knock knock. Who's there? Where'd you look this up on? I can't see him. Are you hiding Uh, jokes now? So it might not be that good. You made it up. This one. Oh my god. Okay. Knock knock. Who's there? Banana. Banana who? Orange. You glad I didn't say pulp? (laughs) 
time i'm thinking this is not you making this up and then you did like, i've heard end. of this before what are you talking about <laughs> you glad I didn't say that was good all right i have another one okay. why did the orange jokes for turn... me huh i'm offended you should not be because i gotta <laughs> keep it a secret why did the orange turn into orange juice because Cause... i couldn't handle the pressure <laughs> Me too, Orange. Orange. Me too. There's some funny ones in here, but I hope so. They're jokes. Let's see. What did the oranges do after concluding the meeting? They peeled Peeled. the deal. Oh, I was going to say peel out. (laughs) Uh, Oh my God. They peel out. That's funny. Uh, Why are oranges the smartest fruit? Because they can concentrate. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh god. Okay. Yeah. Give me your tags. All right. Make sure that you follow your hosts on social media. Wait, hold on. There's a Star Wars one oh, that I want to Okay. Which role in the Star Wars movie was the orange cast for? I don't know. Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, I like that. I can't. <laughs> oh god. Brings whole new meaning to the dark side. Oh my god. Make sure that you follow your hosts on social media. Myself and Katie are on Twitter and Instagram at the Teachers Family. Tiffany is on Twitter and Instagram at TiffSwish underscore flick. And Sarah is on Instagram at O'Malley with three H's. Lori, if you would like to add yours here, you can as well. My Twitter is at underscore Lori Kim underscore. And I have a website that's just LoriKim.com. Yay. Oh, my goodness. Lori. Yes. (laughs) I just... Thank you so much. Truly, I do. And some of our listeners have said some things about you, but you're going to like them. (laughs) (laughs) Vinny says, I would like to rescind my previous statement of saying Snape was not that interesting or deep. Lori is amazing. (laughs) Brandon says, we need Lori back as much as possible. Take my money. (laughs) (laughs) Runal Wadlib says, have we talked about how Lori is a literal genius? Because she is. Lindsay Slaughter says, Lori is a profound and infinite source of wisdom and curiosity. And I am here for it. You can put these on the back of your book. Yeah, it's true. These are official reviews. (laughs) (laughs) And then lastly, Brandon says, swish and flick. Come for the potter, stay for the life talk. Always. Always. I I keep imagining um, Snape's facial expression as he listens to all these, like, looking at me with his eyebrow (laughs) up. Like, really, really. (laughs) Ah, I love that. But we we thank you so much, and um, I don't know when, but we'll do this again. Yeah. Um, I'm sure this will not be our last 
recorded conversation together. Thank you for having me. And I love other characters too. I do think about people other than snakes. (laughs) It's okay if you don't. We're all out to obsess over that one character. For sure. Ernie McMillan, you said that there's nobody in this series who's a perfect person, but I submit Ernie McMillan. Oh my. Ernie Mac. Basically the best. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Oh goodness. Um, what is this for? For Snape and Snape and oranges. I don't know. Something else with S. What's another good S word? For Snapologies. <laughs> Snapologies? <laughs> yeah, because we're oh. apologizing about all the things we've said about Snape in the past. <laughs> for Snape and second chances. For yes, Snape and second I chances. That. I love it. You're welcome. Whatever, Ravenclaw. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and don't let the muggles get you down. <gasps> Amazing! Just uh, my voice! <laughs> You get to see us! Not for the first time ever, but... (laughs) But, like, for the first time in a really long time. Like, I feel like it's been a really long time since (laughs) we've Katie, you or me. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, singing singing Frozen. Frozen. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I hope you all enjoy this perk of being a patron. And yeah. Oh, oh look at that. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, we are that large on your TV. <laughs> you telling me I can't pick my nose. Got it. Mm, what I anyway? I'm going to have to remember. <clears throat> so you guys are going to see me go from like perky to like <laughs> by the end of the night. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.